0: Live. welcome good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to the ninety ninth episode of the exceptional scribble show first and foremost I would like to say happy birthday to a very Good and dear friend, and I am wishing Ms. Yolanda Navoa the very best birthday that she has ever had. And with that being said, I would like to say to any and everyone tuned in to tonight's episode, which is the 99th episode of the Exceptional Scribble Show. I'm wishing you a very happy birthday and many more to come. Good health to you as well. Yes, and yes again, happy birthday, happy birthday on this March 1st day of year 2016. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have, yes, we have entered a new month, the month of March, that is, and this is a month... That we shall experience the beginning of another season. We are soon to experience the ending of the season we call winter and the new beginning of the season. We call spring. Yes. I don't know about anyone else, but I can truly announce and say this with strong conviction. I am so ready for spring. We need every season. All of the seasons matter. And each of them... Each of them results in us experiencing a different phase in terms of our weather, how much or how long daylight lasts, and so forth. So it is a learning experience. And I do want to announce as well. This is the month that women, yes, women, are being celebrated. The month of March. And women in general, tonight we are going to highlight Literary artists of various genres acknowledging, yes, women do matter. And women whom are also our queens, our princesses, our duchess, yes, indeed, our women of renown. They deserve to be celebrated. So, on the Exceptional Scribble Show, ladies and gentlemen, we shall take out the time and honor women this month because truly women did impact this world. And without Us, without women, I would not want to see the kind of world this world would be. We're honoring the nurturer. Yes, the woman. The womb man is the true nurturer by nature. We are taking out that time to honor her during this month the month
3: of March. Women have done so many things
0: in general which have made our lives better.
3: We want to acknowledge at this time Women in general, whom are science fiction writers. Yes, you heard me correct. Listen very
0: closely. You're going to learn about some women who are science fiction writers tonight. Not all writers who are women write about or write poetry, ladies and gentlemen. We have some science fiction writers. And science fiction, I want to say this because it's a fact. Science fiction is a genre mostly dominated by white males, including Ray Bradbury and Mike Resnick. According to science fiction writer Robert A. Heinlein, a handy short definition of almost all science fiction might read realistic speculation about possible future events based solidly on adequate knowledge. Of the real world, past and present, and on a thorough understanding of the nature and significance of the scientific method. Most are unaware that there are black science fiction writers as well. And tonight, I am very honored to present that, yes, there are black women science fiction writers. One of the most famous is the late, great Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler was born June 22, 1947. Ms. Butler started writing science fiction as a young child. She has won the prestigious Science Fiction Hugo Award. And I'm going to repeat that because that's very significant. For Best Short Story and Best Novelette, I repeat, Octavia Butler has won the prestigious Science Fiction Hugo Award for Best Short Story and Best Novelette. Pattern Master was published in 1976 and was basically a collection of stories. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we are highlighting women of color whom have achieved greatness as literary artists. For anyone who has called in, please acknowledge with me the lives of great women of color whom have achieved greatness as literary artists. Wild Seed is included in Pattern Master. While Seed is another literary work by Octavia E. Butler, a black woman science fiction writer. Kindred was published in 1979. This novel has the classic time travel science fiction staple in it. The Protagonist Travels Back in Time to the 1800s During Slavery. Now you will hear of another black woman whom is a science fiction writer. Nora K. Jemison is another prominent black science fiction writer. She has a Ph.D. in counseling and also contributes to the Angry Black Woman blog, which discuss issues such as race, politics, gender, and etc. The 100,000 Kingdoms, I repeat, The 100,000 Kingdoms was published in 2005. It is a futuristic tale about a city in the sky. The Broken Kingdoms was published in 2010. It contains gods, magic. And many other science fiction norms.
3: Nida Okoraful is an American
0: born writer, but her parents are. From Nigeria. Born in Nigeria. Because of this, most of her stories take readers to the
3: African countries of Niger and Nigeria.
0: For example, the shadow speaker is about the struggles of a 14-year-old named Aji. In 2017, Niger, after a nuclear fallout in the early 21st century, Black authors often find that publishers let their books go out of print, which shuts them off from their readers. Most of the time, this is because of their work not selling. These authors can be so much more if their work was supported by faithful fans of science fiction, as well as other genres of literature. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say thank you so very much for joining me as we celebrate women. During the month of March, of course, this is the month where women are being celebrated. And also, we are celebrating black women science fiction writers. And we're going to, at this time, be graced by hearing some fine poetry by black women, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to take a moment and reflect.
3: Black women are not always given the
0: same respect as non-black women
3: who are writers. So at this time,
0: I want you to listen and listen carefully as you hear poetry presented
3: by women of color. Women just like yourself if you are a woman of color.
0: The first poet that we will herald and celebrate tonight is poet Sonia Sanchez, ladies and gentlemen. In this
3: time, in
4: this place, in the United States, it is such a time that we must
2: begin to stand on the side of love. The great writer George Hurston said that fear was the greatest emotion on the planet Earth, and I said, No, my dear sister, fear will make us move to save our lives, to save our own skins, but love will make us also save our lives and our own skins, it will make us also save other people's skins and lives also too. So love is primary at this particular point. Put on. What I call the sleeves of love, uh, put on the legs of love, put on the feet of love, put on the head of love, put on the mouth of love, put on the hands of love, and love, 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 love. yourself and others, love your country and other countries. Love yourself. Love people who don't look like you. Love people who don't even like you. Call them brothers and
5: sisters, but love them because love, 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 love is the greatest emotion
2: on the planet Earth. Love each other, your brothers and your sisters. Love, 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 love,
0: Yes, that was a poem entitled, Put on the Sleeves
3: of Love, by Sonia Sanchez. Black women, black
0: women writers, that's who we are heralding this evening. On the panel of the Exceptional School Show, March the first,
3: the month where women are being celebrated nationally, put
0: on the sleeves of love, America. It's been far too long that you have not been wearing them. Too many mothers are crying. Too many women are dying. America put on the sleeves of love. We're now going to hear another poem by Sonia Sanchez, Riding the Bus in Alabama. This is a reflective and meditative verse. Listen his, his closely.
2: My sister, I was going to work with her on the bus, and the bus driver told her to, to uh, we were sitting in the back, and the bus driver told her to get up, and we stood up, and the bus driver told her to move towards the back because the little wife got on, they were standing up, and, and then the bus driver told her to get off, and she said, Pauline, I'm not going to get off the bus. And I'm just looking up like this, you know, and the bus driver stopped the bus and walked towards her, you know, like you don't put it off, and she's sitting in the face. And I remember that. and I remember that we uh, were taken, we were arrested. And I remember being downtown with all these people, and they came. And I do know also by that by that night, Pauline was put out, sent out of town by the family. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you know, you didn't stay in town. My father also not. had a brother who had done uh, not fitting the face, but had come up against uh, some of the white men about their pay. Was sent out. He ended up in Canada. Um, you went out that night. I mean, you, you, you weren't there the next day. You went out that night. Because, first of all, they interfered with the whole prog, uh, uh, the process of what was going on in the South, you see. We were in close, what they called good family. Yes. And, and all of a sudden, you had a person who was not so good doing something. So it meant that you were disrupting, yes. you know, uh, what was going on. She was on the bus out of Alabama that night. And the next time I saw her was years later in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Always at night. Only when they had to leave. Under the cover of darkness. But the, the the family members who stayed behind were never harassed because of the act that was committed against mm-hmm. a white person who was mm-hmm. out of line. Yeah. I yeah. see. Yeah. That's interesting yeah. in itself. Well, I think what was interesting there is that I think that, you know, people meet under the cover of darkness too. And the whole yes. point is that you get people out of town. That's the whole point. Right. Yes. Um, it's like, uh, you know, teaching uh, Richard Wright's Native uh, um, son and understanding exactly that, you know, the South and the North have always had a bigger Thomas someplace, one who, in a sense, just loves. You know, we see them even today. People get on the bus and won't say, that, you know, the guy says, you got to pay the fare. The guy says, F, F you and keep on going. And I look, always look up and say, oh, we got bigger Thomas here, right here, you know. Because <laughs> he said there are all kinds of bigger Thomases. And in the South, you had that person. Usually, if he had no family, They would kind of just say a little bit, oh, he's strange, he's different, and they let him be. They put him on the level that he was crazy. So the South could tolerate crazy people, you see. Because they were perceived to be powerful. Exactly. But they could not tolerate someone who was coming up against the laws. You had to get out, you see.
0: At this time, we're going to hear Sonia Sanchez speak about a course which she taught on the black woman.
2: You know, because we were teaching, we were teaching. At the University of Pittsburgh? Yes. yes. I, um, you know, we became, when we left San Francisco State, High power came in and decided that they would not have a black studies and all these militants were on campus. So, you know, I resigned instead of getting fired. <laughs> and we went to the University of Pittsburgh. And I had a student. I, My students were always with me until 8 o'clock at night. And I kept saying, i got to go home to my children. I had, a, I had a, a sister living with me. At that time, and one of the students said, because it wasn't my idea, and I I, I always praise students. are so bright. They said, Why, you know, we need a course on us. And I I was packing up my big face, you know, thinking, I said, yeah, I guess we're called the black woman. Ha, ha, ha. They said, yeah, the black woman. I said, well, you think about it and figure out, I'll, I'll keep it, right? And I went home, got home, had you know, had to eat and, and play with the children and, and feed the children because they hadn't eaten, whatever, et cetera. The next guy came to, to my office. They were standing outside the door. These are young Ready. people or something. I said, well, "Yes, yeah, the black woman, do And they had talked about it. So I said, okay, I'll write it up, whatever. We sent it upstairs. They sent it back downstairs. They said, a course on the black woman? There's never been a course on the woman. Listen to that. We are so innovative. Oh, my goodness. You realize yes. that there yes. had not yes. been a course on the woman. Yes. You know, Any woman. 1969 yes. 1969 at a place called Pittsburgh, right? And I said, I called up and said, so what? You know, I mean, at that point I thought we should do this then, right? Yes. I wrote it up, gave them the bibliography. Lo and behold, they gave it to us the next quarter. In that quarter, we had 35 men who registered for the side. 35 women, and then we had administrators searching us, you know, to see with an pad to see what was going to happen with class, whatever. And within the second or third week, this young black woman stood up in class. It was going well. The part about Africa, I brought in. There was an African professor there, and she came and talked about Africa, you know, what they did, uh, you know, how they lived, uh, whatever, etc. So I didn't have to do that part. It was wonderful. Then we started in terms of slavery, you know, the American experience, etc., with slavery, whatever, you know, boom, all the way. I had that syllabus planned out. And as a new teacher, too, and a new course, I was going by the syllabus. I was not veering off it at all. The young sister got up and said, I hate all black men. The, the class folks, the men said, I knew it, I knew it, <laughs> I knew it, you know, whatever. The administrators were, they were <laughs> writing down whatever, heads down. And I'm standing there, there's nothing. My syllabus just says I hate all black <laughs> <like> men, <laughs> right? So I did what was human. Did you know, as I said recently to a, a, a bunch of young people, that what we must do in the 21st century is ask the question what does it mean to be human? We attempted to do it in the 20th century, but we had so many wars and a hundred, what, what did the nation say? I think it's a hundred, I'll check this, it, it's 117. Millions dead mm. in a century. Can you imagine that? one a century, one century. The
4: twentieth yeah.
2: century. Yeah, I think, and I think I'm under. Yeah. I'm underestimating yeah. it. Okay. Because I, I had, I have it in my, on my pad upstairs. I wrote it down when I read it. Right. Wow. Can you imagine that? Mm. Um, and I know I'm underestimating it. Uh, so, I said, you know, simply, um, I went and hugged her. I mean, I hugged her and let her cry. You know, and then I said, would you tell me why you made that statement? And incest. It was incest. There was no place in my syllabus I had not put in incest at all. And I said, "Aha!" Uh-huh. talked about it. And even the men in class backed down from being annoyed, you know. Except. So they were laying for the part about matriarchy and patriarchy, right. which is the whole sex but Monaghan had done that report, right? Right. So I went that entire weekend into the library, Looking up what this is about, but I also turned it over to uh, a, a black psychologist in in uh, Pittsburgh, right? Um, and we talked about that, etc. Um, and then I came back and we inserted the whole thing the into. So, and some of the, that book, some books that was done many years ago, um, in the back they have the first course taught about the black woman was of Ulysses Pitt that I stumbled over it, and I, and I told them they should have called me on that because it came from students. It happened to be been their needs, not my needs. It was their needs on campus that said, help us, Sonia, because then we won't keep you in, in, in your office at 8 p.m. We can, we can bring up these issues, you know, that that are, that, are, that, are, that are coming up. But about a month later, a young man stood up and said, I hate all women. By that time, I was almost finished with the course. I'll be frank. I hate all black women. I hate my mother I mean like whoa because the course talked about all kinds of things right and I got up and hugged him too but I, by this time the officials the, the were like off, the, off the, the loop I mean they were like on the floor writing you know their, their whole motion was that we knew we shouldn't allow this course to exist to, to, to. but what his thing was about my sister when you asked him to talk is that he said my mother it's always keeping me from doing something. She said, don't do that, boys. Stop, boys. Don't do that. You know, you'll get killed if you do this, whatever. I said, why do you think you she news language like that? And, of course, the class is laying And I said, can they participate? And they said, well, they're trying to protect you. You know, they're trying to keep you from getting killed trying to keep from dying, whatever. And I said, however, she could probably do it in a better way or in another way, whatever. But that's the only way that she knows, you see. She doesn't know the other way, whatever. So we kind of got that. Then we got to matriarchy in the syllabus and and patriarchy. And I said, you know, the whole idea of patriarchy and matriarchy pertains something called power. I said, we might have had these women-centered homes. I said, but it didn't mean power. These women were not going out there cruising with some, some high powered jobs, you know, making a whole lot of money, you know, uh doing steak every night, whatever. So I came up with a term, you know, teaching makes you uh uh do more work and I came up with a term for diocle. I said black families were diocals, most of them. I said, um and and that you might have had a woman there, a mother there but you had a grandmother, you know, you had an uncle, uh you had a you had some cousins, whatever, are uh, in there. That's how that, how and that I, that I happens when you a family's under duress, under stress. You know, uh, from a society. Um, uh, th- that was important, you know. So, therefore, if you move to diarchy, then you leave the whole arena that Monaghan is talking about, matriarchy, right. you know, talking about these women are the cause of all the problems happening in the black community. And you leave the arena with the men who said, Well, I want to be a patriarch, you know, whatever. And I said, And you would say, Well, dude, you ain't making enough money to be a patriarch, you know. <laughs> I mean, make, being facetious at the same time saying, you, d- you didn't come up in a family like that you know, tell me about your family. So I started off that second, like, tell me about your family. How is your, the composition of your family? And everybody, most, everybody left that, most of them had a diarchy. I said, that's a diarchy. That's right. It has nothing to do with, you know, a patriarchy or matriarchy. So we were able to diffuse that nicely. So I am I am so blessed to have had wonderful students. On yes, to follow me. through yeah. on what they have requested. hmm but did you teach the class again? Oh, forever. Yeah, we, you so know, the right. administrator, and yeah. yeah, uh, I shut it down. I, I, well, you know,
6: I, Next, we're going to hear uh,
0: Sonia Sanchez speak on reading, reading poetry.
2: poetry. When did you decide to read your poetry aloud? Oh, oh, yeah. That that happened in New York with Neal. Yes. And 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 Leroy Jones of the Rock at that time, they said that they were. Um, I studied with a woman by the name of Louise Bogan at NYU, who was a well-known writer. I tried to study with. This some, was uh, in graduate school. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to study with some other people, but every time I went to those places, you know, uh, and and I would say something, it would be silent. First of all, I was the only female. And I was the only black. It was poetry. Was all male an all white male at that time, right? So I finally, after two sessions, I'd leave. I went to another place, you know. There are a lot of little, little writing workshops. There I was again, the only woman, you know, the only black, and I would say, okay, I'd say something in response, silence. No one, I'd left Well, I was at NYU, and I looked in the catalog, and there was this course, Fogan, um, I looked at Bogan. He was... Um, the poetry editor for the New York at that time and I read her work in anthology so she was a good poet right so I said I went into this classroom sat right by the door just like so I tell my students I want to say sit by the door right um 40 students in there there were three women in a sea of white males there was not one black male there sitting there or Latino sitting there so she start talking about the court, and then she said, Does anyone have a poem? Well that was almost like asking an alcoholic, you know, if he or she has a bottle hidden someplace in the house because you know there's always one hidden someplace. <laughs> yeah. Although you deny it, you know, there's one and I went and my purse I said, Let me find out now But so she made you come up front. So I went up front. I stood there and read the poem. And she said, Did you read that poem out loud? I thought to myself before I mean I said before I got here no. She, I said, no. She said, because if you had read it out loud, you would have heard the following. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, goody, goody, goody. Someone's yeah. going to do something with me, right? Okay. So I sat down and the students had comments too. And boom, I say, she yeah. made, she did two things that I always do with my students. I make them in undergrad, I'm talking about. So, uh, m- many of my undergrads have gotten published. Whenever I'm, I'm putting in work, for an anthology, I made them send work for an anthology. I said, you want to get published, you want to do it, you know, as soon as you can. Let me choose, help you choose the poems, right? So we've done that. So she made us get a notebook and put on each page the nation, you know, the Transatlantic Review, the Minnesota Review, the Mass Review, you know, date sent, date returned, okay. you know, whatever. Like a classroom. So I, I was a person in that class. Published. I'm doing the class. You know,
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I am now going to play a recording of a poem entitled Ten Things I Want to Say to a Black Woman by Joshua, poet Joshua Bennett. One, 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 one.
7: I wish I could put your voice in a jar. Wait for those lonely winter nights and not forget what God sounds like. Run to the nearest maximum security prison, and open it. Watch the notes bounce off the walls like ricochet bullets, etching keyholes into the sternums of every brother in the room. Skeletons opening rose-blossom beautiful to remind you that the way to a black man's heart is not through his stomach. This is the heaven in your hello. The echo of unborn galaxies that pounces forth from your vocal cords. He knows ice grows in the ocean, baptizing our And So harsh words fade from our memory. We forget why we stop calling divine in the first place. Two, 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 when I was born, my mother's smile was so bright, it knocked the air from my lungs, and I haven't been able to breathe like this. It's something about the way light dances off your the, the way the moon gets jealous when you mock her crested figure with the shape of your mouth, queen, you make the sky insecure, self-conscious of being forced to stare into our face every morning, and realize that the blues of her skin, was pleasing by that symphony, doing cartwheels on your tongue, three, 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 who else can make kings out of bastards? Turn a fatherless Christmas into a floor full of gifts in a kitchen that smells like the Lord is coming tomorrow? And we must eat well tonight. I used to think my sister was a blacksmith. the we way she bred fire and metal and made kitchen miracles at 14. Making enough food to feed a little boy who didn't have the words to say how much he meant to him back then. Or in the a to say so, the day you twenty. 24. Your skin reminds me of everything beautiful I have ever known. The color of ink on a page. The earth we walk on and the cross that hung my savior. Five. I've seen you crucified, too, spread out on blue woods to be spiritually impaled by millions of men with eyes like nails, who made martyrs of your daughters, so I'm sorry for the need of you. Adjusting Timberlake at the Super Bowl, and a young man on the corner this morning, made you want to shed your flesh and become invisible, never doubt, they only insult you because men are confused, and we're trained to destroy or conquer everything we see before. Six. If I ever see Don I miss in public, I'll punch him in the face. One time, for every member of the Rutgers and Tennessee women's basketball team. Then, I'll show him a picture of Felicia Rashad, Assata Shakur, Eartha Kid, my mother, my grandmother, and my seven-year-old niece, who's got eyes like firebombs, and then dare him to tell me that black women are only beautiful in one single of skin. Seven, you're like a sunrise in a nation's You remind people that there is always something 8. When we are married, I will cook. Do the dishes and whatever else it takes to let you know that traditional gender roles have no place in the holy field. So, my last name is an option. Baby singing the kids that treat each can equally in our bed will be an ancient temple where so I construct altars of wax from the small of back. We make love like skies sky is falling. Holding to the rhythm of dead spring, all oh, Elgo de Boe, Angel, applauding and anything. This is the way it was meant to be not. My daughter will know her father's face From the day she was born And I can only pray that this Superman complex Lasts long enough To me to the pain this world will aim at her From the moment she's old enough to realize that The color brown is still not considered Human most places But my daughter will have a smile like a wheelchair And so even when I am at my worst When the night of this putrid planet Rentens to and cloudy, The light dancing on Transform the shards of my broken body into heart shaped blackbird, taking flight on the wind. that reminds me of my favorite pain. My daughter's smile. My mother's laugh when I was out of kids. Ten. Never stop pushing. This world needs you
0: now more than ever. That was ten things. Yes indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I repeat, 10 things I want to say to a black woman by Joshua Bennett. You can Google Joshua Bennett, 10 things I want to say to a black woman to read the actual line-by-line verses of that poem. I promise you, I guarantee you, it is empowerment. For black women. Yes, indeed. At this time, I'm going to take a moment to just name some of the African-American women who are literary artists, past and present, and the title works by them. First and foremost, I need to say far too often black women are excluded from the classic literary canon. But black women have consistently published evocative, thoughtful works. Our stories soar, they provoke, they inspire. The work of black women across history is expansive. Though we've compiled 100 selections, and this is in regards to a collection, an anthology of books, a collection of books, that you can of course on your own when you have the leisure to do so you can purchase these books you can download the ebook versions or you can go to a brick bookstore and find these books on shelves available for purchase half of a yellow sun by Chamanda Ngozi Adichie, Half of a Yellow Sun. And I'm going to share a little detail information about this literary work of art. With effortless grace, celebrated author Chamandi Ngozi Adichie illuminates a seminal moment in modern African history by Afra's impassioned struggle to establish an independent republic in southeastern nigeria during the late 1960s a university professor full of revolutionary zeal olana the professor's beautiful young mistress who has abandoned her life in lagos for a dusty town and her lover's charm and richard a shy young Englishman infatuated with Olana's willful twin sister, Kanini. Half of a Yellow Sun is a tremendously evocative novel of the promised hope and disappointment of the Biafran War. Another book, The New Jim Crow by Michelle
3: Alexander. And I want to share just a little about that book. One moment. The New Jim Crow is a book
0: that reveals of the targeting black men through the war on drugs and disseminating communities of color, the U.S. criminal justice system, how it functions as a contemporary system of racial control, relegating millions to a permanent second-class status. Even as it formally adheres to the principle of colorblindness, we are going to learn through reading this book. For those who are yet to read it, in the words of Benjamin Todd, Jealous, whom President and CEO of the NAACP, this book is a call to action. Again, that is The New Jim Crow, ladies and gentlemen, by Michelle Alexander. And it has a foreword by Professor Cornell West. Another book. Our our Black Year, and this is One Family's Quest to Buy Black in America's Racially Divided Economy, Our Black Year by Maggie Anderson. I strongly recommend this book, ladies and gentlemen, I strongly recommend it for you. Add it to your in-house or in-home library. The next book is a classic by Maya Angelou. Yes, the late, great Maya Angelou, whom is now our ancestor. The book is entitled, I Know Why
3: the Caged Bird Sings. This is a true account.
0: The account, Which is depicted in this book is a true account. It is about the experiences that Maya Angelou encountered, and one in particular at age eight years old. Back at her mother's side in St. Louis, Maya was attacked by a man many times her age. She had to live with the consequences for a lifetime. And I just want to say to everyone under the sound of my voice, sexual assault is a heinous crime. Whether the victim is a young girl age 8, whether she is an infant, and it just tears my heart to even say that, whether she is an adult woman, a teenager, whether she is mature, whether it is an acquaintance of hers, it is a heinous crime. No woman, regardless of her age, regardless of how she's dressed, no woman deserves to be sexually assaulted, to be molested, or to be
3: raped. No. 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 No.
0: The next book is entitled Bitch is the New Black. I repeat, Bitch is the New Black, a memoir by Helena Andrews. And I, of course, hope I did not offend anyone, but that is the title of the book. And the author, again, is Helena Andrews. This book is a strong, sassy, always surprising depiction, ladies and gentlemen, and I just have to say this. Bitch is the New Black It's referred to as an addictive memoir, and it is a collection of essays in which Helena Andrews goes from being the daughter of the town lesbian to a hot shot political reporter, all while trying to answer the question, can a strong, single, and successful black woman ever find love? Interesting. Again, Bitch is the New Black, a memoir by Helena Andrews. I just wanted to highlight a couple of well-written books, novels, Memoirs,
3: yes, narratives, written by women of
0: color. And I want to say thank you to everyone on the call. Thank you to the listening audience tonight. Thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for hearing me as I shared fine works of art, fine works of literary art by some distinguished women, some whom, of course, most of you are well acquainted with and familiar with, while others, you are not. But what matters is this that you maintain an open mind and heart to the truth that black lives matter, but black women whom we are highlighting this evening. Why? Because March is the month that we celebrate women and their achievements in the U.S. So we are highlighting, we are heralding black women Black women Whom are literary artists Past and present And at this time With that being said Before We take calls Because we do have some callers In the call queue We're going to hear some poetry And this poem In particular is entitled And Still I Rise By Maya Angelou
8: gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment and yet each of us has awakened and risen Uh, somehow made our ablution, seen other human beings and said, morning, how are you? Fine, thanks in you. It's amazing. Wherever that abides in the human being there is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all black and white Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat. Vowed a celibate, we rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness affect you? Why are you beset with gloom? It's cause I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons, with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes. Shoulders falling down like teardrops. Weakened by my soulful cries. Does my sadness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. (laughs) As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, i rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh, does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs, Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave, and so naturally,
4: there I go right.
3: Thank you, ladies and
0: gentlemen, for allowing me the privilege of sharing with you tonight just a few distinguished writers whom are black women, some whom are still with us physically, some whom have transitioned and whom are now our ancestors. Once more, thank you. And at this time, I am going to cater to our callers, and to all those who have joined me in the chat room. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show. This is episode 99. And what we're doing this evening is we're celebrating heritage, iconic black writers, women, but also acknowledging men, a variety of famous black writers, from novelists, poets, journalists, sci-fi writers, urban fiction writers editors we want all of the literary artists past present and even the future to know we support you we honor you and we celebrate you i am now going to take it's a caller in a call queue from Chicago, Illinois. Welcome caller from Chicago, Illinois.
3: Hello?
0: Yes, hi. Welcome. This is Sage, the poet, host of the Exceptional Scribble show, and thank you for joining us joining us tonight as we celebrate heritage.
6: Peace queen, this is Alien. Hi,
0: welcome, hey. Alien.
6: <laughs> hey. I had to check in. I know it's it's been a while since I've, you know, I've been over here. And so I wanted to check in and um and support the movement. I think it's dope that you're oh, honoring thank
4: you. um,
6: the ancestors that are scripted literally, like in literature, because it's very rare that we pay homage to those that paved the way
4: for mm-hmm. us to even have a
6: voice. So I I really said and I was really digging oh my god, I was really digging the um the sound bite of Maya Angelo. That was beautiful.
0: Yes, yes, I agree, I agree. And I tell you, it's power to the pen. Whenever I hear our, um, I like to refer to, to them as our queen mothers. Yes. You know, as you mentioned, they paved the way for us, who are women and female literary artists today. They have truly paved the way for us, and we're standing on their shoulders. And, um, Ellie, and I tell you, it's an honor that you would join me tonight in acknowledging them. Thank you.
6: Oh no doubt. I mean, it's a. I mean, it's beautiful. One thing I think that we tend to forget in the midst of being writers and being poets and spoken word artists is that when you leave your impression on the world with your pen and with your voice and and with your thoughts and with the pieces of your soul and your life, um, even when the grave claims your body.
4: Your voice
6: still has the opportunity to speak out, and we just witnessed that through Maya Angelou's voice. Like, yes, even though her physical body is is no longer present on the earth, her spirit and her energy, and her words and her soul is still present. So it's such a it's such a blessing and an honor to be a spoken word artist. It's a blessing to be a poet and an artist. It's a blessing to be affiliated with these individuals that have laid the foundation. And um, even though I never met her, like I just really admire even with her backstory and everything she's been through in her life I admire mm-hmm. I admire her and I I just really I'm I'm really in awe just being able to listen to that <laughs> sound bite she just played it just really humbled my spirit.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh my I, I feel that same reverence. Yes indeed. Yes indeed. Yes indeed
6: I don't know um what the format of the show is for tonight. Is there a certain way that you're doing it?
0: We're just um, pretty much uh, just highlighting literary artists whom have made their mark. Um, we started off with acknowledging how there are various science fiction writers who are women of color many of whom many of us may not have even heard of before. And I shared about how their um, relevance has sort of been like the best-kept secret in the literary community. Um, They're not often as well-supported as most of the um, white or some would use the word term Caucasian Male sci fi writers are. So many people aren't as familiar with Octavia Butler and so many others. And these are our sci fi writers who have written some very distinguished uh, works. So I wanted to start there, you know, start off with something that for many they've not known about and how their plight is much different from other writers. Um, Sci-fi doesn't get, as far as women who write sci-fi, they don't get as much fanfare, and they have to um, go through great lengths just to have their works even respected. And so I wanted to make sure that I heralded them first. And then moving from Uh, heralding them, we went on to, of course, um, black women being that March, of course, is the month that we're celebrating women and uh, the great feats that women have achieved. So the next thing that I ventured to do was to acknowledge our black women writers because they are too often um, not as well known. And in particular, we started with um, the novelist and a couple of novels I may mention of, and then we went right into poetry. And I uh, did acknowledge uh, the elder within the literary artist community, uh, Sonia Sanchez, and um, she also taught um, a course entitled black woman, or the black woman, and I played, there was a um, interview where she shared about what that experience for her was like, and how um, it was a bit, uh, it was like breaking ground for the first time for her, she had never um, taught such a course before, and the university where she taught it, um, it was the first time there too, and that was University of Pittsburgh, and how um, it was a Pollock course, but it was a much-needed course, and how it was the youth that inspired her to do it. It wasn't something that she had planned to do, but young people had that interest. They wanted a course that spoke about the black woman in America and, and the black woman experience, which is far different from just the black in general experience, or or even the woman experience. And um, she just shared a lot in depth about what that was like for her, doing that for the first time, and even the university having that course taught for the first time, and what challenges did arise, and how she was able to meet those challenges head on, and how um, she was instrumental in that course remaining and how it evolved from that to a strong Black Studies department. And a lot of other courses, of course, were added to the uh, Black Studies department, but that was like one of the first, which was a new course taught, and it opened the door to some other courses. And she shared about living as a woman of color and um, from her early youth seeing discrimination, not being able to uh, ride on the bus in the same in the same way or um status as white children and people who were white skinned uh could ride on the bus in public and the type of treatment that one of her close family members encountered and how they reacted and because they reacted in a way that was considered um not respectful how that family member had to leave um the southern state and had to migrate further up north to escape judgment and it just it was really an eye opener just to hear these heritage stories and to know that people of color have come a very long way in in terms of um Obtainment of their rights and and just having their rights protected here in this country called America and even being respected as a people, being respected as a citizen, having the same citizen rights as any other person born in this land. and, And how this is a struggle. It's a struggle that yet continues. It's a struggle that has not ended. It's a struggle that if we're not fighting to see our freedom now, we're losing. Truth. We're losing. So it was just really having a moment to reflect and and to even understand how that when, you know, you're of African uh heritage, how that experience in a land where you're not uh given from birth, you're not given or granted the privilege of truly affirming uh your stance as um saluting who you are and, and being accepted for for being of the heritage that you are of, it, it's just an experience that you learn. You learn how to manage, and you have to be strong. You have to be strong in order to thrive when you have the challenges true. that you're facing as a person of color and and being a woman as well. Um, so I was able to just kind of play a couple of recordings of spoken word artists whom did salute women of color. And so in a positive light, just encouraging our women and praising our women for the achievements that they have achieved. And to just Embrace them, you know, it's about just love, just letting us know as women of color that you are, you are, you are special, you are precious and you are loved, you are embraced and those that do know your worth, appreciate you. Of course, we know that we're downtrodden and we're often abused and we're often um, not respected or not highly regarded and a lot of other things that aren't too positive, but it's always a pleasure to know that there are those that do know our worth, and they appreciate us for who we are.
2: True. And just
6: mm-hmm. to touch on um, something that you said in regards to the arts and literary work in terms of... Um, us as african-americans one thing that's well, two points actually the first point is one thing that's so beautiful to me is um when i look at because i'm um, actually in a midst i'm not as well versed or well read in terms of literary authors and in the history but one Mm -hmm. thing that really blesses me is when i look at um when i do research videos and i do footage search for footage um as, you know, for African, um, Africa tribal dances and mm. Africa incantations—is that we we invented art? Like, I mean, not to you know, not to take it away from to take it away from anybody else from the Renaissance era, but for the most part, we invented art because it's so spiritual and so organic with us. Mm-hmm. It's us from the from the from the singing to Swahili chants to. Even to the current-day Ebonics, there is, a, there is a certain level of creativity um, to our struggle like when it's when it's pinned out, when it's pushed out, when it's pushed out into an artistic form, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a spirit of excellence in it, and it comes from our struggle. It comes from the things that we've been through. It comes from everything we've experienced. It comes from what our ancestors experienced, our lineage has experienced. It comes from even from curses that have been passed down from generation to generation. It seems like... Struggle, pain, always
4: mm-hmm. birth the
6: best creativity in art and in, in artistry. And um, another saying, um, just in terms of, in terms of culture and ethnicity and color, um, the beautiful one thing I love about art because I am a art lover, regardless of whether it be poetry, whether it be
4: mm.
6: whether it be um, music, whether it be actual paintings or whether yes. whatever the art is, I'm just a fan of art. One thing I love about art. It's that it's never black and white, sis. Mm
4: -hmm. It's never a
6: matter of black or white. No matter, you know, no matter what facet is being expressed in, it's Mm -hmm. never projected in black and white. There's always so many hues, so many colors, so many facets, like... If you were to take anybody, you could take a collection of many bodies that bear different skins and put them all onto one canvas, and nobody would regard what color is the other person from the other person simply because they're more so admiring the impression of the art. And and I think art is what really brings the cultures and the ethnicities together that no, nobody is going to really sit up and, and focus on. Um, say, for instance, a, a published Arthur that's not um physically renowned and right. and they write a a manuscript or a stage play that is so just breathtaking so passionate but nobody ever disclosed this individual's ethnicity or culture but it mm-hmm. spoke to the masses what's going to be respected is the fact that it spoke to the masses that it stirred spirits that it stirred souls and i think that's why art has the ability to 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 eliminate corruption and 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 bring harmony. it just has a a beautiful way of bringing harmony and um and that's those are my thoughts on mm-hmm. that i just and just to sit up and listen to Maya Angela, I love her so much. I think it's a lot of black women that can relate to her her poetry because. Of her struggle, because of her fight and the different things she faced throughout her life and 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 it's like there's a there's a small there's a there's a big piece of her. All of her is in her poetry, all of her is in her work, all of her is in her interviews, all of her is in everything that she's did. Like she's literally left her her all of her energy all over the place with everything that she invested mm-hmm. herself into. And what's amazing is that even with her leaving all of her, the reason why we identify with her as black women currently because all of her, we can find pieces of us in all of her. Mm. And it makes it all relatable.
0: <laughs> That's so true. Yes, indeed. I I agree with that. We can find pieces of her in all of us. That's the wonderful thing about art. Art is life and spirit. Art is living. A lot of people refer to art as poetry in motion. Art is so much more than just colors in general. Art is music, art is dancing, art is laughter, art is even weeping, art is giving, art is taking. Art is so many things. And when we're celebrating the arts, we are literally crossing barriers. We're we're breaking down walls. We are literally consummating humanity with its life force, that is when we make the strongest connection with our creator. And that's why I am so pro art because I know it's powerful. Once you appreciate art, you truly appreciate life. Art is boundless, yes. limitless. And that's where we need humanity to stay. When we stay within that zone, within that realm, we are spirit. Yes. And spirit is eternal, it's infinite. There is no end to it, it's like a circle, there is no end. And that is why even with this platform, I was so passionate. I told someone, I said, yes, the show was created. It was designed by a writer for writers, and that's why it was entitled The Exceptional Scribble Show. However, once I started the the panel and the platform, I had an epiphany. And I came to the realization that art far extends mere writing. It is spoken word. It is the spoken word. It is spirit. It is life. And I said I have to transition this show into being a platform where all artists, regardless of what their genres are, they're welcome. And that is the world that everyone first was born into, that universe. We were first born into that universe. That realm, that existence where art ruled, love. Love was the one dominating spirit, and that is where we have to get back to.
6: Yes. Yes, indeed. To the most basic, simplest form and foundation, we were created by art. I mean, our existence is Mm -hmm. is, a true impression of art. When God spoke, and he spoke, he spoke Fran the Sage Poet, and he spoke Alien into existence, and he spoke Maya Angelou into existence.
0: Yes, indeed. He spoke
6: everyone into existence. He created poetry. He created literature. Mm
4: -hmm. He created
6: living epistles. And, I mean, that's the most truest, purest form of art, And if we can get back to that place where it's just that simple, and he created us out of love, he created us out of vision, he created us out of inspiration. We were his muses. That's
0: right. Yes.
6: And if we can get back to a place where it's just that simple and just that spiritual and just that divine, I really do believe the world would be a better place. I -hmm.
4: really
6: do. And, I love, you know, I'm an art collector, so I collect paintings as well. I'm trying to get back to collecting. My book collection is a little low. I haven't really been collecting books as often, but I collect art paintings. And Mm -hmm. this one one artist, I love her artwork. Her name Mm -hmm. is Talisa Wallace, a.k.a. Blue Lady, and she's local to Chicago. And I just um, copped two of her paintings to add to my art collection. One thing that I love about her art is that, for one, it, it's not overly pronounced or even stated that it's pro-black. But mm-hmm. the statement that's made in her artwork is that it is so pro-black. <laughs> and it just <laughs> makes me feel so, like just having it in my home and looking at it, my daughter is like, this is so pretty. You should put this one right here, Mommy, because I can see mm-hmm. it when I wake up in the morning. It's just uh-huh. something about art that inspires you and empowers you without ever saying a word, without mm-hmm. ever speaking a word, whether it's – um. Even when it comes to um, to spoken word, like people use similes, they use metaphors, they use all type of examples to get their point across. And without ever having to say something, you can say something without ever having to say
4: something.
0: That's right. Yes, <laughs> it just, indeed.
6: It makes people feel empowered. It makes them feel uplifted. People learn, they get taught, and they teach, and they draw from it. I was just at a um, a spoken word slam. I hosted a spoken word slam um, last Saturday. Um, Shout out to Bernadette Boozer. She was the orchestrator of it. And um, we had a youth division, uh, an adult division, and what was beautiful about the slam, and the prizes were, man, $200 for first place for the adults, $100 for the high school for the youth, Mm. um, $50 for the middle school. But what was amazing is how God shifted the atmosphere in the building. Um, during the during the time of the slam because the
4: youth, mm.
6: oh, my God, the messages that these youth bought, Sage, oh, my God, the messages that these youth bought. I think for us as adults it's more difficult for us to speak about the intimate things that occur in our lives than our spoken word. We might touch mm-hmm. on it a little bit. We might shed a little light. We might crack the door just a little bit. Um, when I tell you these children got on the mic and they spit pieces that bared their Souls. Mm. And, and it just really left the judges distraught and trying to figure out a winner. And it really <laughs> left the adult division trying to figure out what they're going to spit. Because they're like, man, do you see these children? Like, we were so amazed yes. by them sh- shedding their souls and, 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 and sharing their lives and sharing everything that they've been through and sharing their spirits and their experiences in such an artistic um, way and such a spirit of excellence and, 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 and in a humble way. It was <laughs> amazing and and the and God shifted the atmosphere in the slam it was no longer a matter of competition after hearing all of the messages that the children brought to the mic all of the adults in the adult division began to minister life into these children oh my God. God, the energy in there was high and it was no longer about who walked out of there with an envelope with money in it. It was no longer about any of that. It was about living in that moment and being able to nurture the gifts and the callings in these children. It's like we put ourselves to the side to be able to tell them, you are fantastic.
4: You Mm. are phenomenal. What you're doing
6: matters. No matter your age, no matter how Mm -hmm. you um, people may receive you or may not receive you. We're As old as we are, you spoke something into our lives that stirred our spirit that makes us want to invest in you right now. And mm-hmm. they got ministered to before they left out the building after they ministered to us unknowingly. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Mm-mm-mm.
6: Amazing. And I thank God for it. I mean, just just to be able to network with so many so many artists and sometimes my time wears thin because my schedule is so hectic with school and my catering service and and mm-hmm. my son being a cancer survivor and having two children and mm. and my in my um my full-time job as an artist that I don't always get the opportunity to to pop up and go everywhere and be everywhere and do right. everything So I try to, you know, I try to show my appreciation Mm. in in, in any opportunity and chance that I get. But so I had to call in. I had to call in. Thank you. your voice, I had to call in and show support. You know, I had to call in and let you know, hey, you know, (laughs) I'm still here.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. No
6: doubt.
4: That's
0: love. That's art. That's real.
6: That's love. (laughs) Yes. Yes,
0: that's life. Yes, indeed.
6: Um so are, did you did
0: you want me to share, or are we just i just... I do I want you to share a matter of fact at this time, I'm just gonna say we'll just um share poetry, and then, after you share your piece, I'll just you know give some responsive feedback to it, and then there's um a writer that I'd like to share about to our listening audience, okay, so now the mic is in your hands, Elian. Fit the mic right, just the way you feel it, got gotcha. you, okay,
6: see. It's not about those moments when the light is shining brightest on you and everybody is smiling at you and applauding and you feel at the top of your game because the accolades are suiting your fame and your ego is gaining some weight. So your spirit is experiencing that shift and your soul is losing its gift, I said. It's not about those moments when the light is shining brightest on you. And everybody is smiling at you and applauding and you feel at the top of your game because the accolades are suiting your fame and your ego is gaining some weight. So your spirit is experiencing that shift and your soul is losing its gift and your mental is becoming distant to remaining hip to the fact that losing humility is reducing your lift. Houston, we have a problem. I said Houston. We have a problem. The control panel is malfunctioning. The takeoff is dysfunctional. The runway is clear, but the landing strip seems to be better because there's no altitude better than living beneath weather that isn't stable. Stable. What the fuck does that even mean? I said stable. What the fuck does that even mean? My life is crazy, topsy-turvy. I do donuts in my routine daily. I have moments where my demeanor and presence is filled with peace, but my brain is screaming at the top of its lungs to my subconscious that this is not a dream. No, this is reality, and my subconscious is screaming right back. Strap your seatbelt in and get ready for the ride, girl. Them bright lights, Mm. them bright lights, they be shining, but them bright lights, them bright lights, them bright lights don't mean you climbing. I'm at the bottom of this totem pole. Trying to study my role in the carvings of this thing called life. My place hasn't even been placed yet on the placement of this hype. See, replacement is easy when you don't know that your purpose is not just to hold a space like a zero in number sequences. Because when you carry the ten, you get bumped like your placement never ever truly existed. And when you get lost in this meaning is when you find meaning to existence. Them bright lights do burn bright, but when they grow dull, you're still being watched. Tupac said Mm. it best. Call eyes on me. What you doing then? When your ego has abandoned you. Because it can no longer be catered to by your surroundings Because your surroundings are only what truly lies deeply within Your mirror is outer-reflective if your image is inner-selective But only your humility can paint a perfect picture If you choose to sit and reflect by yourself instead of selecting To always be addressed in crowds In crowds I feel crowded in Too much congestion in my frequency I need space to plant and grow my seeds See, you gotta get your hands dirty before the sun shines bright in order to cause growth. I said, you got to get your hands dirty before the sun shines bright in order to cause growth. So I'm in this mud digging. Mm -hmm. I need to germinate and weeds be trying to block that process. Wait, I digress. These weeds be trying to suggest that this ground is at its highest altitude, so takeoff is probable. If I plant my seeds only in those moments where the light is shining brightest on me and everybody is smiling at me and applauding and I'm feeling at the top of my game because the accolades are suiting my fame and my ego is gaining some weight. So my spirit is experiencing that shift and my soul is losing that gift. I called on Houston earlier because the landing strip was clear, but God, I need you right here because these bright lights are blinding and I can't seem to see this shit clear. And these faces in the shadow that are clapping don't look like people no more, but demons that are deceiving my core. My lips no can no longer perceive this misconception as assurance that things are for sure. My eyes have been deceived to believe that there's more to meaning than receiving standing ovations for merely placing emphasis on being great while there's witnesses to greatness in a space that's crowding in, and my frequency is crowding in, and my soul is trying to blend, but my place isn't meant to be factored in like a zero in number sequences because when you carry the ten, my placement will be replaced like I never ever did exist, so I'm in this mud digging. I said, so I'm in this mud digging. I'm at the bottom of this totem pole studying. I'm behind these closed doors praying I'm on these streets passing out dollars to random kids I'm on these CTA buses helping my elders to have a place to sit I'm in these crowds searching for another soul to lift I'm placing my crown on even where I lay my head to rest I'm smiling at strangers to remind them that they are blessed without uttering a word and I'm not doing it for my ego but simply to be a verb Mm. because I am that I am that I am
0: even when no one else is looking. That's that piece. Yes, snaps, <laughs> applause, <Blessings>. salutes, <laughs> banners. Blessings. Much love, much love, much love for your perfect. pen, sis, and your spirit. Um. It's all about empowerment. I want to say to you that piece, it, it spoke... On so many levels, um, I'm sure pending whatever the audience is that you spit that piece before, I'm sure you you are getting responsive feedback just to confirm that, that it's reaching people where they are, um, no matter who they are, no matter what age they're of, no matter what background or walk of life It's that kind of peace. Continue to write with diverse ink, um, with a global consciousness. Um, People are hurting everywhere. Americans are not alone on this planet. Um, A lot of times, America tends to forget she's not the only one in her mother's womb called Earth. Um, A lot of times people of other countries tend to um, get an impression from us that we're proud and arrogant, and we look at other uh, people from other provinces, other lands, other countries as, as being inferior inferior to us, and we're the superpower per se, and they're the lesser, but it's not so. Um, A matter of fact, it has been proven that the countries that are called third world countries, the ones that are looked upon by America and our government or rulers as being the countries that are not as endowed or not as powerful that on a spiritual plane they far exceed us and even intellectually so we have to we have to get back in essence to having that awareness that although we're privileged here in America we are not superior to our sisters and our brothers.
6: Truth.
0: From other places. You of know the what world.
6: creates that image though, it's not so much as the people in America, it's the it's the powers that be in America. I mean it's the level of government in America that creates this persona that that America is um open quotation. The land of the free close quotation <laughs> like
4: mm-hmm.
6: it's America is the American government it's the it's the level of bureaucracy it's the level of um it's the level of social hierarchy that takes place um with the powers that be that create this image that America but America if i could really be truly honest america is no different than these third world countries aside from the fact that the third world countries are in a in a in a more um a more visual state of depravity um people are suffering in america america mm. is not as wealthy as it presents itself you got a lot of single mothers a lot of single parents you got a lot of junkies a lot of crack addicts you got a lot of youth lost in the system you got a lot of individuals that's being um force-fed education that's not empowering them nor nor preparing them to attend colleges that are of an of a, of a ivy league um Field, You have a lot mm. of individuals that are suffering, and um, the suffering may be from different facets, but America is no different than any of these other countries. We're all suffering, except the other countries are suffering in a far more severe matter concerning um, food and concerning water and concerning things that we take for granted daily. Uh,
2: but mm-hmm. for the most
6: part, we can never say that we're in the best state or in a better place than any of these other countries. In fact, I admire these other countries because of what they go through and, 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 and how they go through
8: and, mm-hmm. and how they
6: continue to push, how they continue to strive. I mean, I admire, I admire. Um, in fact, I, I believe that because we have been um, taught that America is this, such this, this best place to be and that it's, this, mm-hmm. it's this such better ground that we as Americans have slightly become um, lazy not mm. everybody, but for the most part, we've slightly become lazy in in matters of humanity in matters of uh um, yeah. personal life and matters of even so much as protesting and marching i mean it's 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 beyond me that um you could live in a black community in america and mm. and and witness somebody get gunned down and and not and, and be black yourself and and not mm. have a mind to march, not have a mind to protest, not have a mind to join somebody else. To, to to fight against these powers, to fight against, to do whatever it is you have to do to make a statement. It, it's mm-hmm. beyond me. And I, that's, I, that's what I feel like is what has taken place in America, you know, and that could never take place in a third world country. Why? Because they do not have the opportunity to slip in that particular area. They have no opportunity mm-hmm. to, to, to to lay back and, and be chill about everything and not take anything to heart that's occurring in their land. So uh, there's no way that we could say that America is far Greater or far better than any other nation,
4: mm.
0: mhm, thank you for sharing those sentiments very true, very true um, and that poem uh that you shared um if you could just share what provoked or what inspired that writing, if you could share that with everyone, please. Thank you, Elian.
6: No doubt, I was asleep Like, I went to bed early one night And um, I had said my prayers I had anointed my children's heads I had burned my um sage mm. And um, prayed and, and did my worship time And and um, after making sure that my children were asleep And I kissed their foreheads, I went to bed And I'm like, oh, this is the first night I went to bed so early And God woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning
4: mm.
6: 3 o'clock in the morning And I got up and um, I went to, you know, went for a potty break. and, Mm -hmm. And as I came back from the washroom, like the words just started coming to me. And I actually believe, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very introspective individual. I'm extremely introverted. Like people would never be able to tell. I spend a lot of time to myself because I, I'm, I'm a person that really believes it's, it's good to study the content of your own soul and study mm-hmm. the content of your own thoughts before you even begin to try to feed anybody else. And um, God really. So whenever I write, I know that it's because it's God speaking to me first before I
4: speak mm-hmm. to anybody else. Mm-hmm.
6: And um, so as I began to write the piece. Um, I began to realize that it, it was some things in, in my soul that, that he had needed to overturn. And um, he began to reveal to me that sometimes we, as artists, because on the Chicago scene, it's so it's it's I'm not going to say it's easy. But it is easy. It's easy, but it's not easy to be featured. It's easy to go to every open mic. It's easy to travel and and share what it is that you have to say to everybody. It's easy to be caught up in the wavelength of of people saying, oh, my God, this person is so dope. This person is so fantastic. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the compliments, you know, so so Mm -hmm. much to the point that you're not focused on the message. You're just focused on the fact that people are complimenting you. So the next time, your next motivation for spitting a piece is just to get the compliment and not to minister to, to the people, it's just mm-hmm. to spit bars and not to have a message. It's just to sound good and not mm-hmm. to really really be doing anything and um and so when I had got done writing the piece, God told me, now meditate on it. Because mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was really dope. I'm just sitting up writing a piece like, oh, where is this coming from? I know where it's coming from. Okay, God, well, I'm going to get it out right now at 3 o'clock in the morning. I kept on writing, kept on writing, put put the pen down, started writing again, put the pen down, mm-hmm. started writing again. I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? Where is this stuff coming from? And once I got done writing, the Lord said, now meditate on it. And when I went back and read over the words, because sometimes when we write, we, 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 we ourselves, we're congratulating ourselves like, oh, my God, this is mm-hmm. phenomenal. But then when we go back and we actually read the content, of what we've written, it's a humbling experience to know that it's just not you but the voice of God that is utilizing your gift to get his message out to you and those that are among you. And um, I think that we as artists need to remember that um, even in the midst of it, of the platforms of becoming famous or becoming renowned or becoming household names or becoming so popular because of your gift and your craft that we must not forget that our gift and our craft is a matter of ministry. And ministry is not just about spitting on the mic. Ministry is not just about getting compliments. Ministry starts at the bottom. Mm. Servitude, servantry, it starts at the bottom. It does not start at the point of bright lights. It does not start at the point of hand claps. It does not start at the point of people giving you compliments and telling you mm. you're so mm. great and you're so awesome. It starts with humility. It starts yes, with indeed. seeing the need and fulfilling it. It starts with putting yourself in a place and position to be a tool to fulfill whatever need that needs to be done, whether it's standing standing behind an individual and and, and and encouraging them or or standing in agreement with somebody in prayer or or giving a word you know a word of advice or just listening to somebody spill out their heart or whether it's just helping somebody across the street or listening to an elderly person share a story from way back when it, that's where servitude starts. And um God began to deal with me in terms of remaining humble, you know, because the Lord has been doing some great things in my life and I rarely I speak on everything that God is doing in my life because I just don't feel like it's a need to brag because your gift makes room for you and, mm-hmm. and God places emphasis on what it is that he does for you. So I rarely speak on everything that's going on in my life, but God has been opening up doors like crazy here and there and every time I step in one, he's opening another and he's opening another and I believe he sent this message to me to let me know in the midst of me opening up this door is my daughter. I need for you to stay humble.
4: Mm-hmm. I need for you
6: not to change. I need for you not to let these lights and these compliments alter the spirit that I placed in you.
0: Right. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Blessings. That's it. It's right there. When we're humble, when we stay in that Status. Yes, ma'am. Honor comes. But first comes humility. Yes. First comes humility. That's it. Being grateful. Um, acknowledging from whence your help comes. Knowing that your source, is your help. Yes. Knowing that it doesn't matter what the situation or circumstance may be, if you hold fast to those principles that you've been taught, your faith, spirituality, um, keeping your hope, uh, not letting your dream die, you're going to reach your expected end. And everything's tried by fire, all metals that are precious, and we are all a precious metal or a precious stone. And anyone that knows about gemology or anyone that knows about tempering metals understands this, that it takes intensity of heat for the purification process to occur, that the very purity of brilliance can exude from a gem, a precious stone, or a precious metal. So it is not when everything's fair in your life, that you are going to reach that level of excellence. That's not when it occurs. It's when you are met with the strongest adversity. Yes. The heat is so very intense that it would literally dissolve anything and everything else or things just dissolve out of your life and you're in that place where it's just you. It's just you and your maker. Yes. That is the moment when you find out who you really are and you discover that most precious thing inside of you. So I say to anyone, if you're going through a fiery trial in your life, that's not a curse. It's a blessing. Go through it. You're going to come through and out in a better way than you were when you first entered in. Any time, metal, precious stones, are put into fire, when the refiner takes it out of the fire, it comes out a better grade than it was when it was first put into the fire. So I'm speaking to someone out there. I'm speaking to some soul tonight. I'm encouraging someone and it's for you to be edified tonight. Know that what you're going through, it did not manifest to kill you or to destroy you. It manifested to endow you. That you may be more endowed. That you may be re. Find that you may reach that higher status, that excellence, where you belong. Because your maker, your source, has a plan for your life. And it far exceeds what your thoughts are and what others think about you. So allow yourself to be fully made. I have an elder in my life, and this is someone that I know the Almighty placed in my life, a spiritual woman, and she shared with me, she said, it's like when you drive, when you're on the roadway, and you're in your car, and you're driving, and there's these signs And as long as you pay attention and read those signs, you are certain to reach your destination. And that was her word of wisdom and counsel to me. And it came out of the clear blue. We were just talking, and then it was like her spirit was quickened, and she spoke those words to me. And I kid you not, those words fell on good ground because I needed to hear them. I was at a time, I was in a point in my life when I just needed to be watered. And I didn't complain. I I was going through what I was going through and I just had that hope and that expectancy that I'm going to know what I need to know and I'm going to know it. And it's not going to be too far off from now. And I believed I didn't know who the sender would be. I didn't know whom the Almighty would choose to speak through. He could have spoke through the rain. He could have spoke through the wind. I would have listened. But he chose someone very close and dear to my heart that he knew loved me. And I'm saying this because someone out there doesn't feel loved. They know they're loved, but they don't feel loved right now. You're going through a hard place. You're going through a difficult time. But it's not for you to give up. It's for you to hold on to your faith. Hold on to, you, to what you know is truth. Because you're going through this fire to be better than who you have become. Because there's something inside of you that's precious. And it needs to come forth. And it takes fire, the intensity of fire, a fiery trial to bring it forth. So burn, baby, burn. I know it's not comfortable. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it's not a joyride. But burn, baby, burn. Because when the fire ends, when you see what you're going to see coming out of that fire, your dance of victory is going to be so glorious. And when others behold the end, your outcome, they're going to know you needed to be in that place. You needed to be in that place. You needed to go through what you came out of because it perfected that thing, that gift within you. You're blessed. Sometimes we're blessed and we don't even realize how blessed we truly are. But the fire, it is to purify. It's for our purification. It is to mold and shape and make us into that better grade of brilliance, what we are not yet, but what we should be. So go through. Go through. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we have to cry. Sometimes we've got to mourn and we've got to groan and we've got to uh, uh, go through that, that valley. We're not going to be on the mountaintop all the time. We got to be separated from those that, you know, You know, we all like to have our potsy with us. You know, we like to have our rah-rah uh, 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 cheer, cheer campaign crew with us. But sometimes you got to walk alone. The path of a true great Man or a true great woman is often lonely.
4: Oh my God. <laughs>
0: they have to be by themselves, and it's because it's a work, it's a greatness that has to come forth, that has to manifest in your life, and not everyone is appointed to that. So deem it, deem the suffering, deem it as precious, deem it as something That even though it's not, it doesn't feel pleasant or it doesn't feel good to you, it's good for you, and it's what you need that's going to take you to the next level. Because we're all rising. We're like that cake in the oven. You know, it rises up, and when it's fully done, it comes out of that heat. It comes out. We're not going to come out until we're ready. We're going to stay in that oven. We're going to stay in that, uh, as I've heard ministers call it, uh, fiery furnace <laughs> until we're made. Until we're made, until our faith becomes unfeigned faith. Unfeigned faith meaning it doesn't matter what I say to you. You already believe and know what you believe and know. So it's not going to change anything. And so we go through what we must endure. Endure the affliction. Endure it. It's never been a cakewalk, especially for women or men of color. It's never been a cakewalk. We faced adversity from day one, the day we're born. We're labeled black. We're labeled a lot of things that people disregard or find not appealing. However, we don't break and we bend, but we don't break. We don't quit. We continue to survive, and they don't understand how can you go through genocide, which slavery actually was genocide, ladies and gentlemen, and, um, Uh, What happened in Louisiana, all of that with Katrina and the levees breaking, all of that was systemic, and that's called ethnic cleansing, because right after all of the people of color whom were displaced were removed, I noticed that the real estate value went up, and who came in? The wealthy started buying up the land and properties. So we've got to see what's going on. Marvin Gaye put it in music. What's going on? It's a lot of hell going on right now in America. And it's time for us to open our eyes, see it for what it is, and educate our own children. If the schools are failing and they choose, they want to dumb down the curriculum, and they don't want to teach our children who they really are and what they can achieve, then parents, by all means, it's time for you. If you've got to homeschool your child, don't allow your child to be neglected intellectually, spiritually, socially, mentally, or emotionally, because the system is designed to make them fail in all those areas. So it's our duty as the village, because it's real, it takes a village to raise a child. It's our duty to embrace our young, to embrace our children. Yes, our children. That's the village love. Everybody's child was everybody's child. And it's time for us to get back to that. And realize we don't have to allow them to die on our watch. We can intervene. We can unite. We can educate. We can organize. We can mobilize. And we can save the children. And in saving them, we're saving our legacy because they are the ones who are leading us today and tomorrow. So let us save our children, ladies and gentlemen. And the arts programs, they were cut for a reason because when you study African heritage, one thing that holds true is spirituality and the arts. They are interchangeable as one. And how do you destroy a people? You take away from them. Their knowledge of self, their language, their identity, you take their name from them, you give them a name you want, you brand them. In other words, you give them a brand, something that they were not born with. And you take from them those things, those those powerful things that make them one, and arts which entails music, which entails spirituality, which entails so many things, that kept us as a community close-knit, united, yemoja. And yeah. that's why they're cutting it. They know the enemy is cutting it. They know if we take that out, if we remove that, from them, we can enslave their minds. We can make them what we want them to become, and they'll never reach their fullest potential. So I say with strong conviction to every mother, to every single mother, to every father, to every single father, to every two-parent family, run home. To our parents, it is your responsibility to say, No, not my child. You have to draw the line and say, My child is worth saving. I'm not going to allow the system to miseducate my child. I'm going to educate my child. I'm going to do what I have to do. And even if my child does attend a public school, I'm going to still teach them at home. I'm gonna make sure that those things that they should know they are well taught. At home. At home. Because mothers, you are the first teacher. You are the one. You are the womb man. You are the one that carries that life. Nine months. All of that time. You are the the primary nurturer. So You have the power. Don't let anyone lie to you and and con you and make you think that you are powerless. Don't let them, don't let a system that wasn't designed to truly support you, deceive and con you and make you believe that you can't, you can't nurture your child into being a great, leader, a great king or a great queen, a renown, someone that will impact the community and impact this world because, yes, you're empowered. You were endowed to be that primary nurturer for that cause. Your words hold power. Whatever you say your child's going to be, don't allow the system to brand your child. You declare to your child what they shall be. Declare them great. And it shall be. Nurture in them greatness. Speak those words into their spirits. In their ears, remind them of the things they should know and remember. The power is in our hands. Community, the power is in our hands. We don't have to fail because the system is failing. The system was designed to fail. It was faulty from its very conception. And the persons whom were responsible for establishing it, they were at fault. It is failing because they set it up to fail and their mindset was not for everyone to benefit from it. And with that being said, we have a responsibility. We call ourselves members of a community, then it's our responsibility to heal our community and to build it up. Why because our community, the black community matters. Black lives, but the black community as a whole, the black family matters. And it's time for us to act as though we know that and understand that
3: to be truth. Yes. Yes, indeed.
6: It's an honor. It's definitely an honor to network with you. You, aside from interacting with you on Facebook, every time I get the opportunity to um, to call into the show, or even when you call into the shows on the DSI broadcast, you yes. always have some profound, stirring um, things to share and to say. And it's it's an honor to know you. It's an honor. Oh. It's an honor to have crossed paths with you. There's a passion. Um, whenever you speak on whatever it is that you speak about, there's a passion, a strength, a humbleness, and um, a, a, a simple, a, a, a simple beauty to mm. how you express yourself. And um, I'm extremely from from one queen to another. I tip my crown to you and Namaste.
0: Oh, Namaste. And you know I have to say this, Queen Ellian, It's no coincidence you called in tonight. I had several callers that were lined up actually to do some presentations and ironically things happened last minute and the whole program kind of just went in a whole different course. And you know how, um, when that happens, you know, well, this is by divine order. I'm very sensitive spiritually to recognize when, divine intervention is at work. (laughs) I said, something's going on here, and it's out of my hands, you know. And when you called in, I saw Illinois, but, you know, there's some other um, poets and other uh, other literary artists from Illinois, so I did not know right offhand it was Elliot. And you've been just in my thoughts lately and in my spirit, and I said, wow, I said, I so look forward to hearing Her spit some inspirational poetry again, and just hearing from her because it's been like a minute or two. But whenever I had, I would see your post, and I'm just always um, uh, inspired and intrigued of your passion as a mother, and the things you post accordingly. It is so inspiring, aspiring.
2: Um, thank <laughs> so you. It means when, a great deal
0: <laughs> yeah, so when you call, when I found out it was you, it was like, oh wow,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a wonderful coincidence, you know.
6: I really it means well. It means a great deal to know that I've been on your spirit and in your heart. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, and I really appreciate your prayers and your positive thoughts. And
0: your You're
6: positive- welcome. It's just like it's it's. It's it's definitely needed, um, you know. Being a being a a woman and being a a, a mother to you know to children and one being a, a having mm-hmm. medical challenges, you, you know, you're not always going to broadcast what it is that you're experiencing and what you're going through. And I mean, it's just being a black woman, period. We we've been we we are well equipped not to disclose every detail about what whatever, whatever it is that we're experiencing because you know we don't air our dirty laundry. It's just not something we're intended to do for those those of us that have been taught and seasoned in terms of that. Mm -hmm. And so just to receive affirmation from you that God has placed me in the spirits of, you know, of individuals who I know that are devoted and powerful Mm -hmm. and that are in prayer means a great deal to me. Thank you so much for being a vessel. Thank you.
0: You are so welcome. And I just have to say this, I feel so compelled, but I do want to acknowledge caller from Southwest Georgia, Um, I'm acknowledging you, and you will be invited to speak shortly. But at this time, I must speak a word um, to my sister and and queen and poetess, Elian, um, just to say to you, and I know this is uh, divine um, wisdom and divine revelation uh, coming forth, you are on course you are definitely on the path. You don't need to change course. Every door that opens is opening because it is time for that door to open. Walk through each door, never looking back. And know that everything that you need You're going to find it as you move forward. Be encouraged. All of the seeds that you have sown, you planted them in fertile soil, and you're about to reap the harvest of all that you've planted. Prepare your heart, prepare your home, prepare your mind. Yes, intellectually speaking, even prepare your mind for the increase intellectually as well. Yes, you will be going back to do another semester. There's some more coursework that you have to accomplish, but even that, time of going is coming to a close you're you're coming to completion of that and it's because it's time for you to launch a business
4: oh my god
0: you're going to have the team because it does take a village you're going to have the team that's just right for you just wait and be patient Because there's some new contacts, these are key people now that you're going to be meeting, and they're going to be a part of your business team. Hold fast, be encouraged, and the monies will be accounted for. You're going to have more than you need to launch this business. Continue on the path you are now taken. You are on course. And I'm just getting that word for you. That
6: was definitely God. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) And I love you. And listen, you are definitely going to be on my daily prayer list just to continue to keep you lifted and inspired as you move ahead. You're very welcome. You're very welcome.
6: <laughs> I don't want to hold up your line because I know you have callers, but everything, every just being able to sit and talk to you has like I completely forgot about the broadcast. Like just sitting up talking to you has really been a blessing to me. It's really fed my soul and my spirit and my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much.
0: You're thank so, you so welcome, so and thank you for sharing. It was truly a blessing. And I look forward to your next visit. And I look forward to visiting with you and DSR Mogul, founder, Kane Spade. I love you both. You have a special place in my heart. You both too.
6: Extreme gratitude. Gratitude to you, the exceptional scribble, and everything that you're doing. You are dynamite, and you are All a power. All blessings
0: to you. Rec-
4: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
0: Thanks, and keep me posted, whatever I can do, whatever we can do on this platform to support you. We most definitely will do it, and just look forward to receiving a correspondence from me very soon. We're setting our calendar now up for May and June, so we will be in touch. We definitely want to have you on our panel as a feature artist for sure.
6: Wow, gratitude. Thank you.
4: Yes, I will indeed. definitely
6: be on the lookout. Thank you so much. Oh, thank I'm you. sorry for all the callers. I didn't mean to hold up, but this is my <laughs> sister for real. <laughs> like we, oh. we got lost in the zone together.
9: <laughs> right.
6: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no problem. They're gracious. They're gracious. But thank you as well. Thank you.
6: Yeah, I'm going to sit down on the couch now and listen to the rest of the show.
0: <laughs> okay. All Peace right. and blessings, my sister.
2: Peace and blessings.
0: Welcome, caller from Georgia. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show, episode ninety-nine. Sage the poet,
1: host of the hey, show speaking. Hey, Hi, Francine. This is your friend. This is your favorite uh, friend, Phillip from Georgia, and I must say, <laughs> Francine, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna have to start calling you a prophet, man, because the way you gave your caller <laughs> that, that prophecy, you know, I'm saying to myself, where's the church organ? Where's the shout oh, music? God.
4: well
0: hey look you know how it is when the spirit is heavy on you to speak a word you just gotta go with the flow and I tell you my sister um, was blessed I was blessed as being that you know word carrier and um, that's who we are as ministers of light and that's something I'm passionate about as well as writing and I tell you you're on the move you're doing some great things a lot is happening please share with uh the listeners, uh, what's new with you?
1: Well Francine, <laughs> I'm happy to ask, but I, I just wanna um make this announcement to your audience because you might as well you might as well meet me the um uh, you, you know uh, your news reporter of the of the week whenever breaking news goes on. But <laughs> but, but Francine here's the thing though know, and I sent you this on your um in your inbox. Um well I just want to tell your audience you know this and um we we had we had to talk about this a couple of weeks ago Mm-hmm. Well, I seen I seen the Oscars and I seen the opening intro and Francine. You know what? I have to give Chris Rock
4: mm-hmm. a whole
1: lot of credit for what he did because you know here's the thing though. Um, when he when he first came out, first thing he said that well he he did rip um Jaden Pinkett Smith when he said, "How in boy are you gonna boycott something when you haven't been invited?" but you got a lot of criticized from that from Tyrese. Tyrese recently posted um. A video clip where he actually asked Chris Rock, "I'm for another day." But Fantine, when he came on and said that Hollywood is racist, he said mm-hmm. Hollywood is a sorority, and Fantine, mm-hmm. he said he said something very interesting. He said that back in the fifties and the sixties, said people was pro. He said, he said the reason why people didn't protest was because they had protested about something during a particular right. time. And, yeah. and, and, Franty, and, and 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 he made a great comparison. We talked about grandmothers hanging from off the tree. We just talked mm-hmm. about the lynching, mm-hmm. and he talked about mm-hmm. he, and, he, and he also talked about um, you know the um, you know how America, how the women was raped up by the slave master, and but Francine, mm-hmm. here's the thing, though, and I was sitting up there looking at see. That's the reason why I watched the Oscars to see what he was yeah. going to say. And he sure did. There tell was, me that. Yeah, and there was a lot of people in there that really, really felt. So uncomfortable, but Francine, here's the thing though. I think that Chris and I have to give um, Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle a whole lot of credit because mm-hmm. knowing how brilliant they were, and and I think they was in the and in, in, in the running with Chris Rock to really really you know write the same He went all out. He was bashing everybody. And Francine, you know, he reminds me of he reminded me so much. I'm sure you remember this story by Richard Pryor, how okay. Richard Pryor how Richard Pryor would actually talk about racism. But he would actually put it in a comedy that way you'd be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and, and, I, and, I, and I've always said that, you know, Chris Rock is really, to me, I actually posted it on my Facebook page, that he really, really did a wonderful job. It was team. You don't understand the mm-hmm. pressure that this man has felt from a lot of afro american who wanted him to come out and speak right. up against, you know, the adversity in Hollywood. And here's the thing, I don't know whether or not that's going to change Hollywood's mentality it yeah. really, really give them something to think about and I wanted to bring that towards your audience attention. And one thing he also mentioned, too, when he mentioned the, um when he said about um how how people the reason why they didn't protest during the fifteen station because they are other things to protest during a particular time. And and I love the comparison he made with the lynching of the tree and also with the Trayvon Martin, the Michael Brown, all these other mm. people. And mm-hmm. I think he did mm-hmm. and, and, and and I think that again that uh, Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle did a brilliant job of helping them you know quote with was about time because Francine, if you would have sort of look at those people's faces, mm-hmm. it really really made them all feel uncomfortable with this right here had to be said, and knowing that he took a lot of heat for saying what he did i, I you' not know, for that because it took mm-hmm. it is i don't think I don't think I would have been able to do that
10: I agree But know
1: but knowing that you have a lot of of diversity still in Hollywood that mm-hmm. someone had some someone had to play the um the winner here. And I give him a lot of credit for what he did. And and, and I know he's gonna I know some I know for some people it's not uncomfortable, but again, this had to be said. So I want to know like, what you thought about his performance. Mm.
0: Well, I have to say I didn't watch the Oscars in four. I had a couple of uh projects I was working on, but I was able to see a portion of it and I noticed um uh some of the responses in the audience and I could tell it was almost like there was that tension you could cut with a knife Uh, people didn't know whether they should laugh whether they should clap Um, they were nervous they were looking at each other a lot Um, I believe that he held a mirror before the audience a mirror of truth and I have a lot more respect for Chris Rock as an actor, comedian, director, um, businessman, and just as a man, uh, because what I saw, he didn't flinch, he didn't stutter, um, he didn't pause. He spoke his words with conviction, and he didn't apologize for anything. I think he started off with saying, welcome to the White Oscars, and mm-hmm. I saw that much, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, oh, no, is he going to come off hard and just come, you know, just, this, um, you know, punching, um, you know, right hook, left hook? Is he going to come out fighting like this? Or, But it was like he shook them up and made them see themselves. He caused, I believe, all of America to really look at itself and say, we should be further along than where we are in terms of race relations or just um, in terms of interpersonal uh, communications and interactions with each other as people. We should be so far past the color, Jim Crow law, uh, color code. Um, we should be so far past that at this point. We should be more advanced than that in our thinking We should be relating to each other as humans. And I think that was like the undertones of every pun, um, every joke, um, every statement made. He wanted people to understand that, you know, it's about celebrating life. And I loved how he said, you know, as far as actors, he said, from the beginning of Hollywood, you know, it's been this way. But the protest, it wasn't about protesting because someone didn't get an Oscar. It was about protesting because someone's grandmother was hanging from a tree.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Protesting because someone's child was killed and, and, and gunned down and, 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 you know, it was done as though they were just an animal. Like, things like that. Like, he was saying, help, trying to get people to understand... What is it that you're really upset and mad about? You need to be mad about lynching. You need to be mad, you know, about these relevant things, these things that impact our community, our our young being murdered, you know. That's what you get upset and mad about, and you protest and things like that, not about, you know, whether or not somebody was nominated to win an award and, and things like that and and that's the part i did hear and i did see and i was like wow you know you have to respect him you've got Mm -hmm. to respect him on another level after seeing him stand and rise to the occasion and make that declaration with strong conviction because he was so right and Mm -hmm. and it was so needed it was
1: so needed but Francie, you know, like I said again, I don't think he probably would never pulled this off without the assistance of Dave Chappelle and Kevin Hart, and that's why I said to myself that they. Here's the thing, though. I look at it like this. You know, I don't think Chris would have been able to do it without mm-hmm. Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle because even though they're comedians, but they make the audience really, really think about what's going on. And how do you think that they played an important role by helping Chris? Because there's no way he could have did this by himself. Because again, it was so much of pressure on him yeah, to come out yeah. swinging. And he had to have yeah. Dave Chappelle and Kevin Hart. So, what do you think about them helping him out? And I know, um, I know, Kevin Hart spoke about that after the show.
0: Um, I think they helped him out. I also saw. I think Whoopi Goldberg was present, and I believe she was one of um, one of the the, the um, African American actresses who won. Um, I believe supporting actress of the first to get an Os- Oscar in the eighties during that year um, for the movie Ghost, I believe it was, in the 90s. Um, I was glad to, to see her even supporting. I mean, there were others there and just to encourage him. And I'm glad that he stood his ground. I believe, you know, they made a difference, their strength in numbers. So their support did matter, and it was a good thing. But I think that he went on that stage like a lion, Mm -hmm. and he stood his ground, regardless of what adversity was going to be, fallout, post anything that he said, and I think that he just went in with courage, and he came out smelling like a rose.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Francine, like I said, and that's why that's why I thank God for Kevin Hahn and Dave Chappelle because they was in that room helping prepare for this thing. And like I said, I don't think he probably would have been able to do it without their assistance. And see, see, on um, Francine, we have to look at it like this. Like I said again about with Richard Pryor. Now we all know that Richard Pryor was the king of comedy, and don't forget he came up in a time where there was still racism going on as a matter of fact i was talking to a friend of mine and then he was saying and we listen to these comedians they really see when they tell jokes they really tell jokes about how life is just like richard Pryor. Yeah. everybody looked at everybody looked at richard Pryor as a man who grew up in the hood we all know that we all know their story but at the same time he was able to really really use his comedian to really really tell his audience that this is what it is of a black man being in America. But sometimes you really, really have to put it in the content that way people will understand. See, Francine, that's what made Richard Pryor so brilliant in what he did, though, because he was able to take a subject and make humor out of it. So that's what I saw with Chris Rock. It comes all the way back to the assistance of Kevin Hunter, Dave Chappelle, because I'm sure they've been through mm-hmm.
4: a lot of stuff, mm-hmm.
1: too, but they was, able to help him, they, was able, they was able to help him, you know, use humor but make sure that right. he was executed. That way, that way people would, would, would pretty much understand that what you're talking about. But, Francine, here's the thing, though. Based on what Chris Rock did, and I give him a lot of credit for it, but here's the question. Will he will, will he be invited again
4: next year <laughs> to host the Oscars? Now,
1: that's going to be the big question.
0: You know what? We still have Elian on the line. I'm I'm going to pass the the mic on to Elian. Uh, Queen, poetess
3: Elian, would you like to answer that? Ellian, are you still there? Are you still with us on the call?
0: Okay. She probably had to slip away for a moment. Well, I, I'll go ahead and 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 kind of I guess I'll need to fathom what possibly could happen in response to his Oscar performance. Um, I know that the first time when he hosted the Oscars, I thought that he broke ice. I don't think that everyone agreed to some of his statements. And, um, that was his very first time hosting the Oscars and, In my opinion, I thought he did exceptional. For a first time, being a man of color as well, and, um, you know, of course, he said some things. Not everyone agreed to some of the things that he said then, and so the same. You know, he had a second time around, second time, Arounds are usually always better than the first time. I thought that he did do better. I thought he was more poised, um, more tactful, and um, not as raw. But he's bold, and he's not going to lie. He's going to tell you what is fact.
3: And use Mm -hmm. humor,
0: as you said, you know, to cushion your fall. Because, you know, truth will hit you and, and, and knock you out, you know, at first, you know, it's it's like that that KO um knockout punch. You're gonna be down for a moment <laughs> then you gotta recover. <laughs> Chief has a way of doing that to us. Um, when it's given to us straight. But what I do appreciate is I thought that he was fair in his delivery. Mm -hmm. I thought that he did not take sides.
3: Um, I thought that he did say what
0: needed to be said, and he was not too concerned with... I don't feel that he... It was one of those occasions where he wanted to kind of not upset people because he he thought if I upset them, they won't ask me back. I would say if that was his last time hosting, it was a, I tell you, a farewell <laughs> to hosting the <laughs> performance that was, one in a million, because um, I did catch the, the ending, the way he ended it out, too. He he manned that stage. He owned that He had command of his audience. And he knew how much pressure to apply and when to let up. And, of course, mm-hmm. that showed his experience, you know, comparing the first time when he hosted <laughs> to the second time. I thought the first time when he hosted, I thought him and Sean Penn was going to end up fighting because of a comment he made about you law, and he had shown 10 upset. <laughs>
1: but, but, Francine, but you know what, but here's the reality, and and this is something that I was talking to a friend of mine. And like I said, it comes a little back to what Jada was saying when she had made the announcement about boycotting. And this was, see, this is the issue here, and I don't know if you've mm-hmm. been in the situation, but have you ever been in a situation where you know somebody is actually doing something that's so uncomfortable to be, to be you and you know that they're doing it but they don't know that they don't know that they know that they're doing it. That's the issue what Jada was trying to portray. What she was saying is that how we have so many Afro Americans who's really, really ha put in the good work, but at the same time, they don't really, really get the recognition for and, and, and uh Francine Spikley has said something very interesting. Mm-hmm. He was on one of the um mm-hmm. the CNN shows. And he said the problem with Afro Americans, is this? He said that whenever it comes to the negotiation, the the writing, the production, he said that none of them is actually a part of the meeting. None of them is yeah. in the in the in room to try to figure out what are they going to put out there that's really really going to bring the audience in. And he said that's been a big issue for uh-huh. quite some time. So he said, so what he what I, what I get what he's saying is that if people can really really start you know, coming in and start being a part of negotiation, then there wouldn't be as much complaint as it is now. And and, and, and like I said again, Francine, I love Spike Lee to, to a certain extent because when he says something, he means it. And and and, and that's what that's what Jada Pinker was saying. Until Afro Americans would start being a part of a negotiation, being in the room with these producers and writers to kinda of like compromise then they're getting somewhere, but unless they don't do that, then it's going to be, it, it, it'll be just like a circle of nowhere. The circle keeps on going and going, until there's no end to it. Hmm.
0: The negotiations table. I agree with that. Until we're all seated, seated, and it's a even equal plane across the board, meaning... There's every ethnic group, because from what I was hearing, there's not much ethnic diversity amongst Mm -hmm. that board. And I'm concerned with that, even though the president, you know, she came out as a woman of color. But when you have a board, she can't arbitrarily vote and make choices and decisions. Her vo- voice matters, of course, especially when you're the president of the board. But everyone's vote matters when you're on a board. It's not a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So that's where we. You're right. More diversity has to be on that board, and I believe that's what the 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 leading plea was, and and the major outcry was. There's not enough diversity on that board. Something has to change there.
1: Mm-hmm. But, Francie, like I said, it really depends on what Hollywood's going to do because, again, you know, like I was telling you a while back, that, again, I appreciate what Chris Rock said at the Oscars, but, again, it's really, really not going to change Hollywood's mm-hmm. mentality. No, not unless, and Spike Lee is so right, unless in a lot of people, if he's talking about producers, writers, um, production. unless you all get into the room, to start talking about what needs to be talked about, then we'll probably be able to get to win. That's what see. That's what Spike see. That's what Spike Lee and Jada Pink was talking about. It's not a lot of people in the room with these writers. And and, see, and, and here's the thing though: if you keep on letting people do what they do, you only want to keep on getting what we get, and that's the key. Make sure you're in the room with the writers yeah. and producers. That way, we can all come together because isn't like your show. You're not going to be able to do the show that you're doing not unless you have you know, your staff, mm-hmm. you have a team, and you have people to really, really, you know, show you, you know, what the title is going to be about. But again, it comes all the way back to compromising. And until more African Americans be in the room with the board, you know, give their opinion, let them know what, the, what needs to work, what doesn't work, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing about, all oh, Hollywood is racist, all Hollywood is want to give us the do. The reason why they're going to give you due, because you're not in there fighting. See, Francine, one thing you are, I, I've heard you tell your audience that Sometimes you really, really have to fight, even if it's down, even if it's getting dirty, to a mm-hmm. certain extent. And I remember you said in one of your shows—I I think it was uh, last show, in case you me Because I do listen to you occasionally.
0: Mm-hmm. And 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 thank you, thank you for that being said. I'm, you know, I think a lot of times we get too comfortable we're in a comfort zone and we'll say, well, you know, a lot of blacks are directing now. A lot of blacks are producing movies now or have their own productions. And we forget that that's still not the diversity within the infrastructure as for Hollywood, um, you know those that are the ones that make the choices, and and they cast the votes as to who's going to win nominations for certain high honors like the Academy Awards. So we've got to we've got to get there, like you said. That's the bottom line. We've got to be at that table negotiating.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That what has to become seen.
1: diverse. That's what Spike Lee's been saying, Francie, when no one seemed to get in it.
4: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Because we're everywhere else. I mean, we're, we're getting the leading roles. We're directing. We're producing. But that's where we're not. We're protesting. Well, the next thing will be, usually what happens or what follows after protests is you start seeing change. You know, that transition comes about. Because then you know the voice is heard, the cry goes out, the people are uniting, and then there's a a coalition formed, hopefully that'll happen amongst the people of color in Hollywood, that coalition that will be able to meet with the academy board and make that proposal. That's the business side of things, legally speaking that we're proposing for change within the infrastructure. There's not enough diversity on the board, and this is our proposal. And we're mm-hmm. not going to stop <coughs> protesting until these conditions are met. And that's what I believe is going to follow the pro- <coughs> the protest. <coughs> yes, Excuse
1: yes, my well, friend. Well, Francine, I will say this, and I will give you a call next time, but I really, really pray and hope that um, that Hollywood will start to wake up because, it, believe it or not, I was, I was reading it on Facebook, and they said, and Francine, this is so astounding. Even, mm-hmm. though Chris Rock, even though Chris Rock made that statement, do you know that the Oscars, the ratings were low? I think it was down to 8%. percent
4: Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
1: It was real low, and, I, and 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 it showed me that it's telling the, um, the network right. something that you that you better start um, waking up and seeing what's really really you know going on. Because Francine, like I've always said, man, it, it, it comes all the way back to who's who, who's who who's the head of the production team, who's in charge of the marketing, who's in charge of the, the media outlets, and like you said again, unless lesson people will come to the unless people will be in the room being That's a sense. part of negotiation <laughs> and the talk. Then uh, again, it's still going to be the um, you know the same thing. But I just want to call the um, uh, you know to give uh, your audience uh, the feedback of um, of what took place in the Oscars. Like I said again, everything was talking about the diversity in Hollywood. I thought that it'd be a great topic to talk about. You know, to your audience, Mm -hmm. let them know that um, in in reality, you're going to have to start you know getting a little um, aggressive, especially when you want to uh, when you want to make a um, a change in a difference because you ever heard the old saying, uh uh a closed <clears throat> mouth don't get paid."
0: That's it. And a squeaky, only the squeaky wheel gets oiled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got to make
0: noise sometimes. You got to be heard. You got to become highly visible.
1: Yes, yes. Well, first before, before, before I say goodbye, um, <laughs> once again, what was your take on, um, on um, Dave Chappelle and um, Kevin Hart, you know, being – you know, being in front of the writing to to help Chris Rock execute on his message. How how do you think they're playing a the role by helping? I'm talking about Chappelle and uh, Kevin Hart.
0: Um, I think it was masterfully done. I mean, you know, it, it was one of those times I believe Chris Rock knew he could not do it alone, he needed supporters, he needed contributors, contributing writers. He needed people he could bounce off from or collab with, and I think artists in general have to always humble themselves in that regard and remember that um, when you're going to represent not just yourself but your community at a time of of crisis because that was a time when a protest uh major protest was going on um in Hollywood, you know a lot of uh actors and actresses did not go or participate um, in the Oscars because of the protest. They were a part of it. So he needed supporters whom could contribute, whom were also artists like himself, um, comedians, actors, um, stage performers, performing artists, whom knew, as for rhetoric, what words, were the appropriate words to say, or how to put a message in a way that the audience can digest it, especially when the audience is already kind of set on edge, and there's a lot of controversy in the air. And I thought that they they did well as a team working with him. The final product, I thought it was fin- it was a a well um, a well finished. Product, and I'm sure that it gave a lot. uh, He gave his audience a lot to ponder, a lot to meditate upon, and a lot to consider because it's time for things to improve. Things should be getting better and not Mm
1: -hmm. worse. Yes, yes. Well, like I said again, Francine, Chris, to me, he was my Oscar of the night because he signed, mm-hmm. he sealed,
4: he <laughs> delivered. And whether and, and whether
1: and listen and whether or not they have him back next year, which to me, you know, I d I I wouldn't even want to come back next year either. Because Franceine, one thing we all have to understand, this is something my mother have always taught me. She said people should be seen and not always heard. And mm-hmm. you and I both and you and I both know in reality that we all know that people don't want to hear the truth, but one thing I've learned in life that I'd rather tell you the truth rather than tell you a lie because a lie hurts you more than the truth so it's kind of it, it, it's kind of like a um a deck of cards where you have you know your sad queens and mm-hmm. you have your you know mean or arrogant kings but again you know it's like this when you play in the game either you play to win or you play to lose that's the way life is and like that's I said right. again and like I said again I agree with um that. And I've, and I've always said it's really going to be interesting come next year's Oscars whether or not Chris Rock is either going to be there again next year or he's not. But friend, team, whatever the case is, he he said what he had to say. So those who don't want him hosting back there, you know, I would say, you know, if, if this was his last farewell to the Oscars, then this is the good way to go out because again, what he said had to be said because knowing that he was under so much of pressure. They come out against this. He did his thing. So those, so people, it's like this, Francine, people's going to feel still uncomfortable with the situation, but, again, my, see, here's one thing I've learned, that if, you, if you're if really, really sick and you, you know that you're seeing go up to the doctor, you can die shortly and silently. So what's mm-hmm. more than you, getting well or continuing to suffer in your own pain? And whether or not he comes back next year, I will say – Listen, if this was just, if this was just a, if this was just a sign off tour, I would say, Chris, do what you do, do what you, I mean, do what you do, do you well. Let Hollywood know where you stand at, and they don't want you back. Say bye bye, so long, farewell. Mm-hmm. I second
0: that motion.
1: <laughs> 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 yes, yes. Well, all right, Mom, oh, Francine, I love you so much. Oh yeah, I am gonna be featured. And another magazine we'll just call uh A and Q answer okay. questions questions and answers. And I spoke to the um to the editor, so what she said is that um um they found a spot for me and I'm gonna be in the, I'm gonna be in their magazine it's probably gonna be in two thousand and seventeen because they got so many people mm. booked up. But you know, Francine, you know what I I will say this. That when you when 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 God put you in my life for a reason, you told me a while back Mm-hmm. that God has set me up for something. And what I, what, I, what, I, what I want people to know and understand is this, that we're all living in the last and evil days. And mm-hmm. we have to have someone like yourself or someone like me, you know, voice-wise and a little wary-wise, mm-hmm. to really, really be able to dominate this generation. Because see, Francine, here's the thing, though. We're not going to bring back Dr. King, because Dr. King did his thing back in the 60s where you know, it, I think it was more terrifying back then than it is now. Mm-hmm. And you and I, we really, really have to be an examples for a hurting generation, just like you told um, the young lady when you told her about how she's going to be surrounded with, you know, great people. Francine, mm-hmm. here's the thing, though. We have a responsibility because none of us don't really, really know when we're going to leave this planet, but right. we, ha- we, we have to be in a right-now moment. We have to really, really create our own movement. We have to create our own enthusiasm. We have to create our own inspiring. And if we don't do that, then God's going to hold us responsible. Because just like um, I said this one time about a sheep, where we don't know that the shepherd protects the sheep. And if the sheep winds up leaving the pastors, then the shepherd's going to be responsible because he let the sheep wander off, knowing that the sheep was a part of the flock. So mm-hmm. we 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 have to be sheep. Sheep shepherds to the sheep. So if anything happens to people out there, then God's going to hold us responsible for it. So we have to start doing things that we have to do now, Francine, because, again, you know, time is winding up. This election is funny. I've never seen anything like this, but it shows you right mm-hmm. here that you know, we, we, we don't have no time to be there. slacking up.
0: That's right. Oh, my. You know what? I have to say, you you made a bold statement that's so very true. I have never seen anything like I am witnessing with this forthcoming presidential election. I am so concerned. I am like praying and watching. I don't know what um, the outcome is going to be. I'm just praying and watching every step of the way. But one thing's for sure this is a time I think it's going to draw people closer together as as far as being community-centered and even families because before it's all over, people are going to realize just how very much they need each other
4: uh-huh.
0: because when the government fails, who do we have but each other? Who do you uh-huh. have but your family?
4: Yes, and yes. even
0: when, with those who, you know, when your family walks away from you who do you have but your community which can consist of a spiritual family yes, so yes. You, you know that's what it's all coming down to um i believe yeah. we've been leaning on the government for so much for for too long we need to start leaning on of course the almighty and start and start to really help one another and be a community Support to each other.
1: Yes, but, Francine, I I, I, I will say this, and I'm gonna let, let you run the of other callers. But um, you know, I was, you know, I was talking to my mother about this, and I was saying about how people really need to get out there and vote. But Francine, I just want to let your audience know this too. And I'm not, I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm just letting you know what the fact is. Mm-hmm. The reason, the, the the reason why I decided not to vote this year is because in my mind, I pretty much know who's gonna win. Okay. And it's gonna come from, and it's gonna come from the Republican Party. And mm. the re and the reason why I stand by that, Francine, <laughs> because when you look at this election, I've never seen so many people upset with the government, I've mm-hmm. never seen so many people upset with Washington, going the president, and I've never seen so many people upset with their own party. And mm. with the and Francine, and it's been crazy, I've been watching the election all day. When you look at Donald Trump's um rallies and I do live in Vallosa, Georgia. And mm-hmm. Francine it was so crazy because um the college I used to go to was called Vallosa State University and they have black students who actually go to the school, they're paying their tuition, and it was all they they was all on CNN, It was on MSNBC. we it was also on Fox. And I want your audience to know, Francine, this is some serious stuff. Yeah. They they they, they went to his event and they were asked by the security guard to leave, and mm. if you look at Francine, this is so important, and I want the audience to understand this too. One, they was on, they was on all the stations. They said that um, they asked one of the commentators asked, "Why did you leave?" And they said, first of all, we, we just went through to see what Donald Trump was going to say. You know, we wasn't pro- we, we wasn't protesting. We was the students, really, really trying to figure out, you know, what does he stand for." And, Francine, if you look at some of this man's rallies, like what happened in Virginia on yesterday, where you had people uh, coming from, um, I think, the uh, the Black Lives Matter, and they were actually escorted out. And, Francine, you know, to me, it's really, really been – to me, I think this election – it's not more about the anger. It's more about the gender and the racism. I've never seen – anything, you know, like this. And Mm -hmm. this is the main reason why I really, really feel for this country, why I believe that Donald Trump, I hate to say this to the audience, I really, really believe that he's going to win this thing because, Francine, you and I talked about this in the inbox, knowing that this man Mm -hmm. has a huge following, knowing that this man is name recognition, knowing that this man has billions of dollars who's getting media for free, there's no way that no one's going to be able to compete with that. Mm -hmm. and He's already broken every rule in the book by calling women ugly, by saying better all Muslims. And, Frenzy, I think this election is going to be boy. I think it's going to be a disaster. And, uh, 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 again, I'll, I'll, I'm just speaking from my heart, but you and I pretty much know who's going to win this thing. So I want the audience to know that they heard this from me. That Hillary Clinton will not win this thing, it's probably gonna be a Republican establishment because they're so mad with Washington, they they they're they looking for an outsider. So it's gonna Francine, it's gonna it, it's gonna get worse while it can get better. So I hope your audience will understand what I'm talking about.
4: Mm.
1: Oh my well
4: <laughs>
0: ready you're not, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard it live on the Accessible School Show episode ninety nine in reference to the probability of whom the nominee for the 2016 presidential campaign is going to be. So I'm going to say, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, um, I know that every fact-based statement that you heard was accurate, and... Unless there's a divine intervention to change the course of the way things are now going, we can just about predict who our next president will be. And I'm speaking, of course, in reference to the next United States chief of staff, head of state. I'm sorry, head of state. Um. We have to keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, some things are pre-planned when it comes to government official elections.
3: <clears throat>
0: some things are predetermined, meaning there is a voting system at work that will go into effect even after you and I have voted. Our vote is classified or called the popular vote, and then there's electoral college, and they have the power to vote and override the popular vote. So ladies and gentlemen, with that being said, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. We just may get the president that we're not voting for. And if that happens, this is what you have to be prepared to do. You have to be prepared to Accept what you can't change. The prayer serenity comes to mind. Some things we can't change. Some things are out of our hands. And another thing, if Donald Trump does become the next president of the United States, your mind should be thinking on on these terms. How am I to function? What should I do so that me and mine, we can survive if things become drastically changed where a lot of supports that once were in place are no longer in place or things are no longer accessible to me and mine, what are we going to do? How are we going to thrive? to survive. You've got to start planning now. I know way back in the 80s during the 80s um when people were listening to certain radio broadcasts more and especially there was ham radio um uh people were were listening to different ham radio uh uh personalities and they were talking about survival and and what you should know about survival. They were telling people to start stocking canned goods in their basements. I remember I was much younger, and this was in the 80s. They were telling people to store lots of batteries and flashlights, have a generator. They were, like, preparing people on things to do. Like, we forget that in San Bernardino, California, there was a terrorist attack on our home land, soil. We have terrorists among us that look, dress, walk and talk just like you and me. And they're hidden in plain sight, plain view until something happens and they are exposed and they attack us. And are we prepared? We have to start thinking on those terms. Are you prepared in the event that some sort of attack takes place? It may not be someone firing a gun. It could be chemical. Do you know the things that you should know? So I'm going to say this to the listening audience. You need to start having meetings. If you have children, you need to start meeting with them, talking to them. Look, if there is a terrorist attack, if something happens, this is where you need to go to. If we're not together, this is the safe house. This is the safe zone. This is the safe place in the community where you would have to go. This is the neighbor. I've already prepared them. This is where you can stay till mommy or daddy gets home to you. You need to start preparing before disaster right why because there was a saying by Benjamin Franklin people fail if you do not prepare not to fail you're going to fail preparedness is that ounce of prevention that's worth a pound of cure we need to prepare ourselves for the worse, not just for the better. And I do want to say this as well. We had President Obama for two terms. And I don't know what that did for anyone else, but I can say for me to see a first family that was all black, I would never have dreamed that could be true years ago. And I'm sure a lot of other people can attest to having that same opinion. But we had it. So that, to me, showed me that in America, it's possible. It can happen again. If it happens once, it can happen again. And I don't believe it was a phenomenon. I believe it was a reality check. Many people said something like that could never be, but it happened. In our lifetime, it happened. So with that being said, I'm going to say this. We're coming to a close of our show tonight. Believe to achieve, meaning act it. Do it initiate, execute. Don't just talk about what you want to see. Be the change you want to see. Do it. Why? Because black lives matter, but all lives matter. And yes, life, humanity matters. We are right now. Humanity itself is in a crisis. Our planet is dying. Global warming, whatever you want to call it. It's evidence. We cannot take this lightly. We've got to stop a lot of things that we're doing. A lot of activities have to end. Wars need to cease. A lot of things that's going on. There's so much chemical... Toxins, there's so so much chemical toxins in our air. It's not just killing the plant life and, and the marine life and the ecosystem is disrupted by it. And it's also killing our planet. And if our planet is sick, we're dying. And we need to understand that, ladies and gentlemen. Well, now we're going to get back on course because tonight's show truly was all about celebrating, celebrating the life, the lives of iconic black writers. We first started with the women because this is March the month where we acknowledge our women. So I want to highlight one literary artist in particular, one of my favorites, Zora Neale Hurston. She was born in 1891 on January the 7th. Zora Neale Hurston was always interested in writing, and this is just a brief bio profile about her. And during the Harlem Renaissance, she befriended some very famous writers such as Langston Hughes, whom is, yes, an iconic African-American male literary artist. By 1935, she had published a handful of short stories, articles, as well as a novel, Jonas Gord Vine. Some of her most famous works were The Eyes Were Watching God and Tell My Horse, which studied Caribbean voodoo. (laughs) Hurston wrote many pieces using very distinct dialect to show African-American culture. Now what I'm going to do is attempt to read aloud a quote from Jonas Gord Vine. And I'm going to read it in the language of African-Americans during, I would say, I guess you would say the 1800s, early 1800s. So it will sound a little Strange or foreign to some of us whom are more on the lines of the modern times. Okay, so, you know, the dialect used will not be quite familiar to most. But listen closely. That's a big old resurrection lie. Ned, a slew foot. drag, leg lie at that. And I did, yuck, tuck hit me too you know I'm a fighting dog and man hide is worth money hit me if you dare I'll wash your tub a gator guts and that quick now that was a quote from Jonas Gordvine again that book entitled Jonas Gordvine is a novel written by the late, great literary artist herself, Zara Neal Hurston. And at this time, I'm going to play for you. This is a song, and it's entitled The Crow Dance. And it is, ironically, it was written by and performed by Zara Neal Hurston. So listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. The Crow Dance by Zara Neal Hurston.
9: That come from Africa. Dr. Hurstkowitz says that he saw the background of it in West Africa, of the crow. The crow in some ways seems to be sacred in Africa. But what they're talking about is what we know in, in the United States is a buzzard. And the, and the buzzard comes to get something to eat. And they are talking about it, and they dance it. And one person gets in the center and uh imitates the buzzers, and they say, and the rest of them are following the background. <laughs> oh, my Mama, come see that See. See how he fly. All oh my mama, come see that crow. See how he fly. This cold this cold gonna fly tonight. See how he fly. This cold this cold gonna fly tonight. See how he fly. All oh my mama, come see that crow. Oh mama, come see that crow. Oh the mama, come see that crow.
0: All right, that was a live performance, ladies and gentlemen, by Zara Neil Hurston. The Crow Dance. Mm-mm-mm-mm. The Late and the Great. Literary artist herself, Zara Neil Hurston. So many um, <clears throat> writers have written uh, very distinguished works. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston also is known for other writings. Of course, their eyes are, were watching God. Um, jump at the sun. <clears throat> so I'm going to play for you. This is this was actually recorded live, 1940, Buford, South Carolina. Oh
4: oh! Zora Neale Hurston.
0: Jump at the sun. This is an actual. Um, performance of her in a it looks like a spiritual setting and then they're showing her in South Carolina so you're going to hear a narrator sharing some information about Zora Neale Hurston and her early upbringings in South Carolina do not
5: world
7: i am too busy shopping my Zora Neale Hurston journeyed deep into the South with a camera
9: and
2: pen in hand, recording Negro folk culture. She wrote countless books, plays, and articles infused with the rhythm of her people. Zora's fame would come from one book. Their eyes were watching God. But throughout her life, she was legendary
10: for her spunk. She was
2: boldational.
10: She was outrageous. She enjoyed shaking things up.
2: She's a southern black woman who wants to be a scholar and a writer,
10: living in a white world of letters. was one thing I liked about her, uh, independence. She didn't care about you and what you
2: told
10: me. Zora could go
2: from dialect to the most beautiful English she could possibly imagine. It was like music when she spoke. Sora was kind of feisty and
10: kind of raunchy. She could tell you to go to hell and make you enjoy the trip. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm hoping that you enjoyed tonight's show. I truly did. And as always, you never know what's going to be cooking in the oven when you tune into the exceptional scribble show because, of course, this show is unscripted, and we tend to be artists. So as any true artist, would do we just let it do what it do and of course i want to say to you thank you for being such a gracious audience of listeners thank you for those who called in thank you for those who were in the chat room had a good time having dialogue with you tonight and we're going to close out with the following information Um, It's always good to have a time of reflection. At this time, I'm going to reflect on uh, the Harlem Renaissance, one of the legacy uh, literary artists of that time. And um, a matter of fact, I'm going to first give a quote by Wallace Thurman. Um, And this, Wallace Thurman, of course, born in 1902, um, transitioned in 1934. Being a Negro writer these days is a racket, and I'm going to make the most of it while it lasts. About twice a year, I'll sell a story. It is acclaimed. I am a genius in the making. Thank God for this Negro literary renaissance. Long may it flourish. Those are the words of Wallace Thurman. And of course, he's referring to the Harlem Renaissance, ladies and gentlemen. And again, he was born in 1902 and transitioned in 1934. Next, I'm highlighting another great literary artist, legacy writer, one whom, of course, his writings were heralded during that time known as the Harlem Renaissance, and of course, his writings are still being heralded today. The late great Langston Hughes, born 1902, transitioned 1967. Langston Hughes is one of the most well-known names. Oh, excuse me. Oh my, I had a tickle in my throat there. I'm going to rewind that and redo that. Langston Hughes, 1902. Born in 1902. Transitioned, 1967. Langston Hughes is one of the most well-known names of the Harlem Renaissance. He was a writer whose pieces range from novels to plays. He wrote short stories, children's books, Translations and anthologies as well. However, his most well-known pieces were his poems. I'm going to read a piece entitled Democracy. Democracy will not come today, this year, nor ever through compromise and fear. I have as much right as the other fellow has to stand on my two feet and own the land. I tire so of hearing people say, let things take their course. Tomorrow is another day. I do not Need freedom when I'm dead? I cannot live on tomorrow's bread. Freedom is a strong seed planted in a great need. I live here, too. I want freedom just as you. Mm -mm -mm. That poem is entitled Democracy by Langston Hughes. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you thank you. Thank you for joining me once again on the panel of the Exceptional Scribble Show. And that concludes episode 99. And before I exit the show tonight, I would like to inform you as my listening audience of the following. On next week,
4: Tuesday,
0: I am very honored to have, as a feature artist in the spotlight, John Teller. John Teller will be the guest, special guest, on the panel next week. From 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time till 9 p.m. The topic will be music and lyrics. The focus word, syncopation. Please join me. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen. And we will meet again on next week. That conclude this concludes episode 99 of the Exceptional Scribble Show. And yes, happy March to everyone as well. And we're going to close out. Now this is a bit out of the norm for me to do. Normally, poetry begins and ends Um, the show, but and we may have a song that channels the theme. But there was an old Western. I classify this song as a classical Western song, and it was written, well, it definitely was a song made famous by Kenny Rogers, and the song is entitled The Gambler. And I am compelled to um, share with you Some of the words of the song. The song was written by Don Schlitz. And here are the words. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with the gambler. We were both too tired to sleep. So we took turns, a staring out the window at the darkness, till boredom overtook us and he began to speak. He said, son. I've made my life out of reading people's faces and knowing what their cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind me my saying, I can see you're out of aces. For a taste of your whiskey, I'll give you some advice. So I handed him my bottle, and he drank down my last swallow. Then he bummed a cigarette and asked me for a light. And the night got deathly quiet, and his face lost all expression. Said, if you're going to play the game, boy, you got to learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Now every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away and knowing what to keep. Because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. (laughs) And the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. So when he finished speaking, he turned back towards the window, crushed out his cigarette and faded off to sleep. And somewhere in the darkness, the gambler, he broke even. But in his final words, I found an ace that I could keep. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. And I'm going to leave those words with you tonight. Because, you know, one thing that I have learned and I've found to be true is truth is truth. Whether it's put in a poem, in a song, a verse, a rhyme, put to music or not. Wisdom is the principal thing. Yes, it is.
10: Both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness The boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces Knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of age For a day of whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last one. Then he bombed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet And his face lost all expression and if you're gonna play the game boy You gotta learn to play it right You gotta know Run, you never count on your money. When you sitting at the table, there'll be time enough to count when the deal is done. Every gambler knows the secret to surviving, knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep, cause every hand the winner the loser and the best that you can hope for is to die and sleep and when he finished speaking he turned back toward the window crushed out a cigarette and it off to sleep and somewhere in the darkness the gambler he broke even but in his final words I found an ace that I could keep you got Oh
0: ladies and gentlemen it is time for us to say good night good night sweet dreams and bye for now